Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. Hey, hey. Happy Friday afternoon, everybody. This is Richard Chu from the family meeting, sitting in for the great Joan Esposito. Joan is out doing Joan things on this beautiful Friday. I mean, I, I, uh, Paul sitting in uh, as usual, kind of running everything. He is the is he is the engineer extraordinaire. So he's going to keep me from um, you know blowing through commercial spots and making sure we hit our our um, uh, our items that we've got to cover. And we've got some uh, sound bites that we're going to. Uh, kind of treat you guys to today. Um, but I'm sitting in for Joan, be here from two to five. And then um, during the course of the show today, I have a couple of people that will be calling in. Um, newly elected city councilwoman, Natalie Ziemba will be giving us a shout later in the hour uh, or at the beginning of the uh, three o'clock hour uh, to talk a little bit about how things have been since she was elected back in April of this year. And we were happy to be a part of her success. So she'll be reaching out to us. And then um, I'll be getting a call from my uh, good friend, Karen Byrne, will be uh, reaching out to us as well and uh, with another guest. So just wanted to let you guys know we got some folks that will be giving us a holler. And, of course, uh, Paul and I will be um, volleying some things back and forth because um, you you all don't know this, but... Paul's a pretty strong progressive, too. He's got some opinions about a few things, as I've learned over the years. So um, I'll probably bounce a few things off of him. But um, got a lot of things to cover. I know there's a lot of you that who will be calling in. The number is 773-763-9278. By all means, give us a call. Uh, we want to hear what you have to say. I've got a, um, a list of items that I want to talk about. And I'm going to headline, or, or I shouldn't say headline, but I'm going to give the top of the chart uh, a label of the things that uh, we're going to cover today, and it's called Republican Chaos. Republican Chaos. This week has been an all-out example with lights blaring and flaring, horns, I guess horns blaring and lights flaring, of Republican chaos across the board in terms of uh, national politics. And you guys all have your own, I'm sure, observations and things that you've read and listened to and seen on the various forms of media that we all uh, listen to, watch and read uh, from our mainstream media to some of the um, mainstream newspapers, mainstream electronic media and mainstream um, print. Uh, You know, you've got a lot of sources, of course, here at WCPT. uh, We like being one of those. But I got to tell you guys, this has been a crazy week. This has been a crazy a week with everything you can imagine, but all under the heading of Republican chaos. Um, I'm probably, not probably, I'm going to talk about some things today that will be viewed, will, will be certainly controversial or might be a little bit of a pinch to your backside because they are important issues. And how I approach them may cause you to feel another pinch to your backside Uh, because I I definitely want to lean into a few things that I think are important. Uh, But for now, what I want to do, and Paul is kind of getting some things lined up for us, we've got a few um, sound clips that I want to play for you guys to kind of kick off our conversation today and give you guys uh, some substance to uh, to call in and, and chat about. And we'll definitely take your calls. We definitely will do that. I'm also going to make sure I hit a number of items that are definitely going to cause 
some folks to um, um, kind of raise their hand. So, Paul, what are we going to uh, start off with first? Uh, the uh, McCaskill. McCaskill. Yeah, let's let's hear what uh, former Senator uh, Claire McCaskill has to say. That's in her, in her dancing days, of course. Here's the thing. He said it was a draw. Coach, coach, I got news for you. <laughs> I'm going to speak in words you can understand. This was a draw, a lot like Alabama beating Auburn 62 to nothing and the last two points being a safety. You were tackled in your own end zone, and this is not good. You are in big trouble um, politically. You have no profile nationally other than being dumb enough to hurt our military when we are at a time of international crisis. So, we guys, um, that was former Senator Claire McCaskill, who's now a contributor on uh, MSNBC, and she laid it out pretty quickly. I mean, let's be honest. This week was a week where we got away from some of the chaos that has been caused for months now by Senator uh, uh, Tomas Tuberville. Um, she, she was right on point when she said about his, his uh, intellect in this space. Uh, it was not a, a, a draw. I mean, he, he finally had to realize, and with the pressure that, that came from, I believe, some of the members in his own uh, party and caucus um, in the Senate, to say caucus wouldn't be fully appropriate, but some of the members of the uh, elected members of the, of the Senate on the Republican side had to finally probably get tired of the pressure that they were getting from some of their constituents uh, and back in their home states, one. But two... The pressure that's come, that had been coming from the country, uh, from one of the um, sources that I follow and listen to, that he got a lot of pressure from uh, people who were calling from all over the country that were outside, obviously outside of his, his state, essentially, um, I won't say harassing, but borderlining on, hey, dude, uh, we're going to send money to an opposing candidate. Don't worry about getting primaried. We're going to send people, we're going to send money to support candidates to get you out and try to get a Democratic um, candidate elected senator in that state. Because of the number of military families across the globe, U.S. military families across the globe, that were just fed up with this brinksmanship, to use a, a, a word of President, former President Obama's. And I think that so many people recognize this is not a partisan issue. Now, Tuberville's justification for holding up these promotions and these raises and just flat out recognition for the military that we all support and believe in to hold up their livelihoods. And that's just what it comes down to. That impacts all of us. And so I believe from what I've read that a lot of the pressure didn't just come from within the Senate. It came from member, uh, came from citizens of the, uh, of the country that recognize you can't do that to our military. And if the issue that he was using as his leverage had to do with um, military members having access to personal care, as I'm going to call it, then people re- realize that he was using a, an issue, a, devi- a divisive issue, to create a position to justify why he was holding up these promotions and and livelihood acknowledgments. That's what I'm going to call it. I like to use sometimes some broader words that are a little bit more sweeping. So rep- uh, former Senator Claire McCaskill's right. Um, he, there was, this wasn't a tie or this wasn't a, you know, any form of a, um, 
a balanced act. He got he, he finally got beat at this game, and it's, it was time. It was definitely time. It was not a draw. So I'm I'm uh, I'm glad we had that clip. We've got a few others that will um, definitely kind of pop into. So you guys, give us a call on that subject matter. The number, of course, is seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight. We want to hear what you have to say about uh, Tuberville uh, finally having to relinquish the stranglehold that he had on the um, the promotions and the increase in wages and just, you know, the livelihood of our military that we so much appreciate and, and have to take care of and protect, particularly when the Republicans most of the time lead the conversation about supporting our troops, supporting our troops. God bless our troops. God bless our troops. But when it came down to supporting our troops, supporting our troops and getting the hell out of the way so that they could be supported, it was Republicans that were blocking that from happening. So I'm glad that that's a, um, a box that we can check and, and be able to move forward from and never have to cross again. Um, so, Paul, let's um, let's see what other what's what's the next one I want to go today. Uh, you. Uh, yeah, let's 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 lean into that for a second. If you expel somebody like, you know, uh, George Santos, how can you allow somebody like. Uh, you know, Senator Menendez remain in the Senate as well, too, because I promise you that one of the main major differences between uh, representative former representative Santos and Senator Menendez is three hundred million dollars of munitions, you know, with Egypt as well, too. And uh, Santos is never uh, accused of being a, a foreign agent as well. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot more serious kinds of issues here. And we really need to expel Menendez in order just to be fair. So obviously George Santos was expelled from Congress, which was way past due. Um, Many of the folks who have really leaned into this have said that the House uh, with Kevin McCarthy as um, the Speaker of the House or the leader of the Republican uh, side of the House, you know, held on and let let him stay because they needed to get some votes. Uh, or needed to have uh, some of the, I should say, some of the things that they were voting on um, have a little bit more chance of getting passed because they needed those numbers. Um, that's probably true. I mean, I'm not sitting in that in that uh, in that meeting or those meetings to determine that, but common sense says that that's probably true. So let's talk about this for a second. I don't agree with the the last part of what um, Senator uh, Fetterman said as a rationale for the reason that. Uh, Menendez should be expelled. So let's just balance this out. If George Santos, and it's been clearly documented, has committed these acts of fraud and these other acts of criminality, then he should be expelled for those acts of behavior that has been proven that he committed. And the number one, not the number one, at, the, at high on the list is the, the, the verbal fraud, the lies that he committed um, while he was running for this congressional seat. Now, if Menendez is found to be guilty or there is enough evidence that's proven beyond a reasonable doubt as it relates to how the Senate adjudicates this, then he needs to go, but not because it's fair. That's a stupid reason for someone to be let go because it's fair has nothing to do with it. That's a personal um, opinionated more uh, way of approaching this. He deserves his quote unquote, meaning Menendez day in court to be able to, to represent why he did what he did. Um, is it unusual to have a bunch of money and gold bars and whatnot in your home, your primary residence? Many would say that probably is. And, uh, but until someone proves how he got them 
was illegal or without the or outside of the purview of what the Senate views as um, misconduct, then fair has nothing to do with it. So I'm a supporter of, of Senator Fetterman, and I agree that if Menendez is in the wrong, then, you know, he's got to go, but not because it's fair, because fair sounds to me like he's trying to play to the to the audience on the right that wants to say it's a tit for tat situation. If you get one of ours, we get one of yours. That's craziness. That's the reason. That's a large part of the reason. And some may disagree with how I'm going to position this, that um, Al, former Senator Al Franken is gone because the Democrats got weak in the knees thinking, well, during the Me Too movements, um, strong, um, you know, escalation of, of attention that he needed to go because it was fair. And some of the senators that wanted them to go said because of this picture that showed up all over that, you know, it was only fair that he be, you know, put away, put um, that he had to leave the Senate because of the optics. Well, that may be true, but the Democrats have got to stop playing this sort of, you know, what's fair game. What's right is what matters, not what's fair, because if it were about fair, Paul, there's a whole bunch of folks that would be gone. And more importantly, there's a whole bunch of there's a whole bunch of things that wouldn't be happening if it were what's fair. When did the Al Franken thing happen in relation to the the reveal of Donald Trump's locker room talk on the bus? It was afterward. It was I I, I believe that that happened after Trump had been elected. Yeah, I think so. I know it wasn't before. Um, It was after Trump had been um, been elected. so let's say 2017, 18, somebody's listening. Uh, I know that the Trump thing was leaked like in the build up to the 2016 election. 10, so, 10 days. Yeah, it was yeah. A, a 12, 14 days prior to mm-hmm. the election. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember exactly where I was when I heard it. My my wife and um, four other friends of ours were down at Starved Rock hiking that day. Yeah. And we got back to the lodge and we were about to sit down to have lunch. And I got this notification on my phone of the uh, yeah. recording I just released. <laughs> yeah. And I was like gleeful. I was <laughs> like, ready to thought, stand up on the well, table now, and dance. Now he's finally there, not going to be elected. There's finally going to be something yeah. that everybody's been, been been complaining about <laughs> in terms of his behavior when it comes to women that's going to nail him to yep. the floor. Yep. And it skated through because the next right following that was then, the, the you know, the infamous Comey letter and blah, 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 blah. Now, that didn't happen. We know what the outcome was. But Al Franken's um, mishap was a photograph that took place before he was a senator. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't mean that the bad behavior should ever be excused. I'm never going to say that. So anybody that's listening, male or female, that is not what Richard Chu is saying. I know we've got to hit a break in a second. But the fact still remains that fair isn't what this is all about. It's what is what have any of these individuals been legitimately caught and there's evidence to back up that their behavior was either illegal or in terms of the Senate with regard to Menendez, that it breached what the Senate's protocol happens to be at the time that the that the uh, the incidents took place and with this money and this and these gold bars and all the other things that that have happened. So, ah, wow. The number is 773-763-9278. We will be taking calls through the course of this hour and next, and we look forward to chatting with you. We've got a few folks that are going to be calling in, um, some guests calling in to chat with us about some things. So we'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. 
Hey guys, we're back. This is Richard Chu sitting in for the great Joan Esposito, who is out today. And uh, I'm happy to be here and uh, taking your calls. We've got folks that are calling in, and that's exciting. <sighs> wow, wow, wow. There are a ton of items that are, like I said at the beginning, part of the Republican chaos. And this week has been a good example of it. If you haven't been paying attention, I'm going to get to talking about the debate. That's certainly one that we are not going to leave off the uh, the menu today. And, and my, my, my observation about or my way of looking at the debate and some of the things that took place there. Um, but in the meantime, um, I know that so many people have been concerned about, um, and rightfully so, uh, the horrors that are taking place in the Middle East and on the heels of um, some of the latest reveals. And of course, um, we won't call it the ceasefire necessarily, but the pause that um, was enacted and then breached. Um, I think that and I'm not going to play. We have the clip, but I'm not sure if I'm going to play it yet. I might want to. Did I get you the one of uh, Senator Jayapal? Or uh, Representative Jayapal? No. Okay, I'll get that one to you. But um, And I'll, I'll give you the edited version for those who had not seen it. Um, she was asked uh, last week sometime, and, I'm, and again, I'm not going to go a chapter and verse. She was asked a question about the um, surrounding the conversation around the number of women, Israeli women, that had been uh, beaten, assaulted, raped, on and on this, the horror of that. And I watched parts of the, the clip and I list, I've listened to parts of the clip, uh, in terms of her response. Now the, the challenge with some, with not seeing something in its full entirety and with context, that is that you can miss something that's important in terms of how someone may answer a question. And we're talking to someone's meaning, um, these the elected officials that are being interviewed, um, and anybody for that matter. But I, I just want to share share this, and I, and the, the clip is long, so I'm not going to have Paul play the entire three minutes. Essentially, what happened was she was asked a question about what's happening in the Middle East and what was revealed after some of the hostages were released. About and we knew some of this from the very early on uh, beginnings of this of the uh, attack by Hamas that. There were women that had been raped and women that had been killed and how she viewed, how she saw that, what was her reaction to it. Now, I'm only going to say this from the perspective of a, of a person that from an observational standpoint, I think has to always be the easy answer. When someone is asked, this, asked a question about women, period, but particularly in this conflict, this war, this battle in the Middle East, specifically in uh, in Palestine and Israel, when someone's at when someone asks you a question, elected officials, whether you be local, regional, national, House, Senate, Republican or Democrat or independent, it doesn't matter. When a question is asked of you about something that is horrific as this, irrespective of what your personal beliefs are based on your ethnicity, your gender, your income status, your marital status, your preference in terms of if you're a member of any particular community, the answer when it comes to rape is always very simply full-throated, it is wrong, it is horrible, and there's no excuse. There is never a justification. There's never any language that you can throw into the mix to try to, you know, uh, satisfy your base 
or those who represent your culture or any other affectation. It is always, it is horrible, it is awful, it, it, is, it, it, it should never happen. And the reason I say that is when you don't say it that way, or something that is matter-of-fact and direct and to the point about the horrific nature of it, and it's unacceptable at, 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 and under any circumstances, never ever, is it acceptable? The reason that you have to be clear, full-throated, and matter-of-fact about it is that anybody that sees or hears your answer will interpret you as a supporter of the ones that inflicted that horrible, horrible act. Now, I threw a lot of words into that for a reason. When someone, and for those of you who are listening and following us, when that question is asked of anybody, I don't care who it is, the answer has to be, it's unacceptable, it's horrible, it's terrible. Because if you don't answer it that way, then people read you, people are going to attack you. People are going to, in this political heated environment that we're in, this divisive environment, People are just going to attack you, and um, we we may play the the the, the uh, clip from um, Representative Jayapal, who I'm a who've been a, I've been a big fan of of her of her work and the things that she's um, stood for and stands for. I believe in what she's doing. Uh, she's normally full throated about things. In this case, I think she kind of fumbled it a little bit. So you guys can follow. I'm sorry, you guys can pull up the clip from the interview. Uh, just Google her name. It'll be probably the first, you know, the first thing that pops up when you do. But I think that she she mis, mishandled that and she didn't need to. And I'm not going to make it a, a thing where she, you know, has to recover from it. But she does need to make it uh, be a little bit more clear if that kind of question is presented to her in the future. So anyhow, that's just something that I wanted to talk about. I also want to lean into something that happened last week that um, I feel like. It was, it, it kind of got a soft pedal by our mainstream media. And um, I think that it got, so I don't know why it got soft pedaled. I have my opinions and I may step into them a little bit, but um, I think it was something that didn't really catch the amount of attention that it probably should have. And so this past week, um, the actress Juliana Margulies was um, she did an interview on, I believe it was on a podcast. And in that interview, um, she was without any uh, regard. She made a comment that, um, that all African-Americans, the entire African-American population is how she uh, put position this. The entire African-American population has been brainwashed into hating Jews. Now, in this, and I, that's not quite, a, it's almost a quote. She, um, she had the opportunity to then apologize, and she gave a statement, but not an apology. And um, I think that when someone makes a statement that is that offensive, that they have to apologize, they can't, uh, just provide a statement. They have to be ones that are going to apologize. And she didn't apologize uh, to that to that uh, statement that she made. She didn't apologize to, to the statement that she made. She used a statement to kind of cover her, her behind for the way in which, in my opinion, she um, 
she insulted because she said the entire black population has been brainwashed to hate Jews. Now, I, I, I first of all have to disagree with that wholeheartedly. And the, the, you know, the, her statement was the fact that the entire black community isn't standing with us to me says that either they just don't know or they've been brainwashed to hate Jews. That's in my mind, one of the essence statements of white female privilege, because to say the entire black population, black community, that's a sweeping statement. So what I'm wondering is how much smoke is she going to catch? Probably very little, if any at all, from sponsors of shows that she's on or projects that she's working on that parallels what happened to um, Kyrie Irving for forwarding on a uh, item that popped up on social media. What she said was the entire black community. That to me says not 50%, not 25%, but the entire. And I want to see how the media, mainstream media, I want to see how the industry, I want to see how sponsors go after what she said and I don't think it's going to happen. Call me crazy, but I don't think it's going to happen. And I don't care what context she said it in, because she said it as a quote. But the bigger, the other problem with that is she did not apologize. She gave a statement about all the hard work and the things that we're all challenged with and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, making it sound like we needed to apologize to her for criticizing her. And saying that in the civil rights movement, the Jews were the ones that walked side by side with blacks to fight for their rights. Well, let me help you understand something, Miss Margulies. It was also um, African-American. There were black soldiers who helped to free um, those who had been put in prison camps in Buchenwald. So her position on this, I, I've got an issue with how she's being given a pass on this one. And that, in my mind, is something that needs to be dealt with. I just I have a problem with it because we see a biased uh, way of handling things when certain people say certain things and others say certain things and how the, our media deals with that person. So I knew I was going to get on a rant for that one. So I took a nice stiff drink of coffee before I went down that road, Paul. But um, that's an issue that I have because I, what, what I have is the issue is twofold, that she said it full-throated, and the way in which she didn't apologize, she gave a statement. An apology would look like this to the entire black community that I insulted by what I said. I apologize. I was wrong for how I said it and what I said. She hasn't done that yet. I'm waiting to see if it's going to happen, and I'm waiting to see how she's going to be treated by the, the moneyed sources that, uh, that could have influence to see if it's going to represent what happened to Kyrie Irving for forwarding on a social media post about the Jewish community. So not drawing lines, not taking sides. Uh, we're going to have a, uh, uh, we've got a, one of our callers. Um, do we want to take this call now? Or do we want to wait till after the break? Let's do the break. All right. So we know we've got some folks out there holding. We are going to get to you right after the break. The number is 773-763-9278. This is Richard Chu. We'll be right back. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. 
Hey guys, we're back. This is Richard Chu sitting in for Joan Esposito. The number is 773-763-9278. You guys heard me kind of lean into a subject that's um, been on my mind this past week uh, because of the... Um, the directness and the forcefulness of which uh, Juliana Margulies said what she said. Uh, she's not a political figure, but she made a statement about things that are happening when our, in our world uh, when it comes to politics and social issues. And I just don't feel like I think like, the, you know, uh, it was skipped over. I mean, it's obviously posted on on on, you know, the various Internet social media sites that are out there. But she kind of she's it's been skipped over. And it's a big deal for me because. Um, I don't like to make sweeping statements. I try my best not to make broad brush statements about a group of people or individuals um, that become a group of of uh, people that support an issue. Um, I've made statements about things that I don't like, but I don't like to say that all or the entire of any community um, is a particular way. I could say, Paul and I were just talking about this during the break, that the entire uh, Senate Republicans completely are hypocritical when it comes to the military and the support of the military out of one side of their mouth, they say one thing, but out of the other side, when it comes to taking care of the military, they certainly drag their, their feet a long way on this issue. And I know we've got a couple of callers uh, that want to chat about that, but for the moment, I want to uh, take a call from one of our avid listeners and supporters actually um, uh, we, we affectionately, I, I know her as Karen Byrne. We affectionately refer to her as Karen from Chicago is on the line with uh, another good friend of ours, Anita from San Antonio. What's going on, ladies? <laughs> hey, Richard. Hi. Thanks for having us on. Absolutely. Um, yeah, no, important conversation to be had. And, you know, I mean, yeah. I will say this, you know, it is never a good idea to make uh, sweeping, broad statements about any particular group of people, um, you yeah, know, because people should just keep their mouth shut. Yeah. When you. Yeah. Because, I mean, look, when any time that that happens and you have um, exceptions to whatever that rule that you just threw out there, um, it completely throws it out the window. Um, now, with the Republican Party, I'm right with you on that because <laughs> they haven't given us any. Because no. the people that want to show us that they're they, not like that, they're not showing their faces. They prove us every day how horrible they are. Yeah, they don't, yeah. They, they've given us reason based on yeah. their actions to make us some sweeping statements about them. And, and to what I said about how Paul and I were talking during the break about Senate Republicans, I mean, this issue is, as I see it, the issue mm -hmm. is, is just really, really simple and basic. If you've got a predominantly red state or red community that has a high mm -hmm. amount of military men and women serving and they're not getting what they should be getting, meaning their proper compensation, their promotions and the services that they should be receiving, mm -hmm. that is going to have a minimally indirect impact on that community's economy. So mm -hmm. how, in the hell, how in the hell as a senator can you sit back and say, I'm going to keep my foot on the brake until I get what I want on an issue about the care for women and for men, for that matter, when it comes to medical treatment and other items that are mm -hmm. in this purview. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, uh, yes. well, it was about abortion. That's what it was about. It was about he, abortion. He didn't, want, he didn't want it funded, you know, for women in the military, if they're raped or, or if they just get pregnant and they want to access abortion, that it would be paid for by the, the military. Which, of course, we send them to places like Alabama and Texas where there is no abortion, where it's illegal. So, of course, the military has to 
front that, has to pay for them to travel somewhere. Right. And that's what he was objecting to. And it's really disgusting that he brought up some, an issue like that into the, you know, um, well, this yeah. debate about the military. I mean, he both. Yeah, because what it's doing is it's um, detrimental to our national security. We are not ready. Exactly. We, we, we said. And, 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 so and the, women. I, so go ahead, Anita. No, I'm just saying well, what women would want to be, you know, transferred or stationed in a place like Alabama or Texas or Florida or these states where abortion, they can't access abortion. Yeah. Later. And they, I, most, they later, have to go with they're told to. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Later in the show, I'm going to lean into this conversation a little bit more um, uh, in terms of the, the conversation around abortion. Um, but but to, to the, what I really wanted to be able to do for a few minutes today is I know that you guys have uh, put together a new podcast and I'm excited about being able to uh-huh. uh, be a guest on your yeah. podcast. But I wanted to give you guys just a, a couple of minutes to talk about the podcast, what's it, what the name of the podcast is uh-huh. and what you guys are, are going to try to accomplish with the podcast. So uh, oh. so tell me a little oh, bit about what's happening. To do that. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Ahead, All right. Okay. So Anita and I have been longtime callers. Um, for those of you who may know us already um, or don't know us already, um, but we have been longtime callers into Stephanie Miller's show. And um, through the course of the years that we've been calling in um, to this show, we were put um, connected with one another. And so, yeah. you know, we've kind of been each other's support through the nightmare of the Trump occupation, et cetera. So we became fast friends and had a lot to say, as you can imagine. And um, so in the course of that, we kind of thought, yep, yep. And we, you know, figured, you know what, we should, this would be a great podcast, you know, just our little phone conversations, you know. So after a couple years, um, and my son is a sound guy um, and has produced a couple, some podcasts of his own. So he said, look, mom we got to do this. You know, this is, you know, we're leading up into, you know, the primaries into, you know, an election mm-hmm. year and we have to have as many voices out there. So uh, I knocked on Anita's door and I said, Hey, time, it's time. <laughs> she came all the way down here in Texas. <laughs> and I, very carefully though, because, you know, she doesn't want, she would come down here to Texas. Yeah, it's a fast state. State. yeah. <laughs> right. I like it up here in the free state of Illinois. So anyway, yes, I know. <laughs> Don't rub it in. So anyway, so we, you know, so we got kind of got our stuff together. Um, My son actually um, found, you know, we had put together a theme song and, you know, kind of an amazing, happy coincidence. One of our dearly departed Stephanie Miller uh, regular callers um, had passed away. He retired down to Brazil Mm -hmm. and his name was Art Nordoff and he had passed away. And before the uh, midterms in 2018, he and another friend um, made a song called Blue Wave, recorded this song. And so my son was looking for, just randomly looking for music, and he happened on this. And all of a sudden, I look at the name of the person that, you know, wrote the song, and it's Art. Mm. Yeah. So it passed away. So anyway, it was just one of those things where it was like, as we were going along, putting it all together, we were like, this is meant to be, this is, you know, it, it just, it and, felt right. Yeah. And what we're trying to do is we, basically we're just trying to help save democracy the best way we doing whatever we can. Yeah. Because we really, we understand the threat that Republicans and Donald Trump, um, you know, have put us in and it's scary. It's very scary. 
when you know Anita, as, I, as I've said before, and, and I will tell you, I had I had a conversation, and, and candidly, it was with uh, uh, with my wife the other day about we can't be fe- in fear. We can't live in fear uh-huh. of what it what it would look like if Donald Trump were reinstalled because that's what it's going to be. It's not going to be elected. You all have to understand. He, uh-huh. I, I don't want to get in the, into the numbers right now, but uh, if he were yeah, re- if he were reinstalled. If he were yeah. reinstalled. Okay, so mm-hmm. we can't be in fear of that. We can. We have to acknowledge and recognize that it could happen. Eric and I talk about this and have for years on the family meeting. It could happen. Mm-hmm. It could very well mm-hmm. happen. So part of, I think, what the responsibility is that you guys are feeling and are taking have taken action on is, you know, we're fairly aware of what's happening. But more importantly, we know what if it does, if this were to happen and he were to get installed, um, these are the horrible things that he's already mm-hmm. said he will do. So you guys mm-hmm. leaning into this and leaning into it in a way that's going to be impactful and meaningful and substantive mm-hmm. is important. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Anita, when I, when you and I've talked before, I've said you can't operate from the position of fear. You have to operate from the position of strength and leaning in. No, you, guys are, you guys are leaning yeah. in because mm-hmm. you're, you're not you're not sitting back on your laurels or resting on your laurels. You guys are leaning in. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm excited to that's see right. that you're doing that. And and I think that it's going to be highly Im- Im- impactful what you're going what you're doing, mm-hmm. right? And just some of the things that we want, you know, we would like to do is, you know, because the media is really falling down on the job, you know, just emphasizing all of the accomplishments of the Biden Harris administration. I was just um, watching just- CNN real quick. CNN was doing a report about uh, the new jobs report and the unemployment rate fell, and they actually were like, "Wow, this is a pretty good economy." For the first time, that's the first time I've heard it on CNN. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, right. we're going to get that soft landing. I mean, yeah, I saw I that too. The, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so things like that, you know, kind of really bringing them and, and, and the, what we'd like to do is talk about these things so that the people that are listening can then go and, you know, utilize maybe some of the things that they've heard from us in their yeah. daily conversations, you right. know, and um, so, you know, so what the accomplishments we want to talk about, we want to talk about, you know, remind people, because not that long ago, um, mm-hmm. of the horror, the horrors of the Trump administration yeah. um, and what and they the propaganda did. that they're, they're targeting yeah. certain groups. And they're saying that this is what they're going to do. All of the things that they say they're going to do. And we have to believe them. The targeting like China, Russia, Iran, that you read that thing about. Oh, yeah. Well, yes. And warn people about because what they are doing, um, and this is something that we talk about on episode three that we just recorded the other day. Um, There was an article that I came upon because, you know, with the Free Palestine Movement and all this, you know, um, stuff that's going on in the Middle East, it was the Institute for Strategic Dialogue. And the headline is capitalizing on crisis. Russia, China and Iran use X to exploit Israel, Hamas information chaos. So just like in 2015, when they utilized the issues that they thought divided us, like racial divisions, um, the division between by, uh, I'm sorry, Bernie supporters and um, Hillary supporters, they went and they utilized that and they um, targeted people. And misogyny. Yes. Without a doubt. So. Yeah. yeah. So this is something. So we're sounding the alarm. We're bringing to people's attention all of the things that we need to be very vigilant about and understand. And then also talk about what 
a second Trump would mean. Um, term would yeah. mean. Right. Well, one and of the, it is a scary is, thought. One, go ahead, Anita. No, I was just saying that we saw the. I don't know if you saw the clip of Steve Bannon and Cass Patel. Yeah, without well, a doubt. With that, yeah, they were talking about going after, going after, going after the media. Yeah. So, so this is this is the kind of the um, observation that I have made for a while, and I've tried to enhance it and grow it a little bit. Um, the question that I ask when someone says to me. Um, they make a they make the comment offhanded, you know, Biden's awful. Biden's, you know, da, 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 whatever they have to say about Biden and his presidency. And then um, they're they seem to be leaning in the direction of Trump. I huh. always ask this question. And that is, tell me one thing that President Biden and his administration has done that's directly harmed you. And I pause. Uh-huh. Yeah. And give the person an opportunity to answer that question. And it, have, it could have been a face-to-face conversation. It might be something on social media, or it could be someone that's called into the family meeting. I asked the question, tell me one thing that President mm-hmm. Biden's administration has done that's directly impacted you in any way whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I haven't had one person, and I've had some clients yeah. that I've even gone there with, mm-hmm. where I've, they've mm-hmm. said to me this. I had one client try to lean into the conversation about, well, raising taxes. And I said, okay. And I literally said, so, so let me, let me finish. See, this person said raising, you know, Biden's going to raise my taxes and we're going to have, you know, higher taxes and so forth and so on. And I said, well, hold on a second. As your advisor, I was very careful in how I handled this. Mm -hmm. I I know what your financial situation is. And the last time I checked, your household income hasn't reached X. Mm-hmm. So the taxes yeah. that would be raised won't impact you or the, the, ta- the new taxes potentially that would be levied will not impact you in any way because you aren't at the income level that they're designed to to tap into. Mm-hmm. And there was a, there was a pause. And I waited mm-hmm. and I said, am I wrong? And the person said, well, no, I guess you're not. And that moment was when I saw that physical, the physiological change. So the reason I'm positioning mm-hmm. it that way is I asked that question of people in the, on the other side, which is tell me which policies that Donald Trump's administration enacted during his mm-hmm. four years that actually benefited you. Oh, they can't answer that. They'll say stupid things like, you made me proud. Exactly. And I said, (laughs) and and whenever someone goes down that road, Anita, I always say, I said policies. And then they, and then, then, so of course, so this is the advice that I'm giving to everybody free of charge. You don't have to defend what president Biden, I mean, yes, uh, today, uh, Anita, there's, 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 there's so much information about the laundry list, as I like to call it, of the successes of the Biden administration. Mm -hmm. Yes. You can laundry list them all day long people. At the same yeah. time, I think the question that we have to ask as progressives and that are leaning into this is twofold. Tell me specifically what policies have President Biden enacted that have harmed you? And at the mm-hmm. same time, ask the question, tell me what policies did Donald Trump's administration enact during his four years that helped you? List them out. Mm-hmm. Rather than getting into a defensive position about any of this, just ask those two questions and let that person well, talk. I always say he 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 rode the Obama economy, which was a good economy. It was still growing. And then 
The only thing he did was cut taxes for large corporations and uh, transcontinental, you know, I mean, trans-international businesses. That's all he did. And the, and the, the tax cuts, the taxes will go up for some middle class people in 2025. But that's because of those 17, of the, the 2017 that he and Paul Ryan, that he and Paul Ryan got through. That's why. Yes, that's what they got through. So, and hey guys, I, I think an important an important caveat real quick, uh, Richard, um, is that when you're talking to Trump um, supporters, that they not have tinfoil on their head. Um, and Trump, Kennedy, 2024. Right. That's important because you're not going to reach those people. Let's talk to the people that we can reach, right? And so our podcast is True Blue Politics Podcast. It's T-R-U-B-L-U Politics Podcast. You can listen wherever you get your podcast. And you guys, thanks for calling in. I got to let you go because we got to get to a Thank you, Richard. Have right. a great thanks afternoon. Thanks a lot. Have a great Thank weekend. You, you too, guys. Be well. Wow. Paul, I know we kind of crashed through that one, but we're going to run to a quick break, guys. A number is 773-763-9278. We'll be right back. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. And we're back. This is Richard Chu sitting in for Joan Esposito. The number is 773-763-9278. We're going to hit another break in a few minutes. But for the time being, I'd like to talk to my man, Jim, here in Chicago. Hey, Jim. Hey, Rich. You're, you're in there in one of the most the last beautiful days in 2023 <laughs> before we pulled our tent into the freezing weather. The tundra. Anyway, Rich. Uh, yeah, the tundra is right. What I was going to suggest, I know that we've got a couple of topics. As far as Tuberville is concerned, he's riding a dead horse there. You see every <laughs> pro-choice uh, amendment in, throughout the, even the most Republican states. It's it's uh, two-thirds majority uh, want uh, women to have their right to choose. But I was going to mention two Supreme Court judges. The late Supreme Court, Senator Day O'Connor, said she lamented the fact that large forces of the American public can't identify the three branches of the of the American government, let alone what they do or how they accomplish anything. And then Stephen Breyer, I listened to him carefully a couple of times, how he depoliticized the court. He said only by voter participation. And, Rich, I was going to ask you, you're going to talk about this debate, this Republican debate. Now, if you notice when voting came up, every one of them in their heart of hearts know that they have to suppress the vote to win the election. Yep. So, so they're not encouraging people to vote. Now, listen very carefully. That one. Oh, yeah, we're going to make them uh, check their IDs. We'll have somebody check the vote. You know, we'll make it as hard as we possibly can to vote, which is completely un-American. And I suggest that if they want to get on a good footing, let them come up with their own good policies so people are, are enthusiastically voting Republican. Yeah. You know, well, they, listen to that very carefully. The suppression of the vote is the biggest deal in, in the United States of America today. Well, as it relates, if, if as, I can as, be so bold. Well, it, it certainly is as it relates to uh, upholding and sustaining and building democracy. It definitely is. That doesn't mean I would say so. Yeah, it was, that's the underpinning of democracy. It, it that is the is. underpinning of it. It just is. You're, at that part, Jim, I, I agree a, a thousand percent. And, and to that end, one of the, you know me as a, as a as a African American man in America, I know the shoulders that I stand on when it comes to voting rights in the country. And so when well, I when I see the numbers of people who take it for granted, whether they be black, white, of any other uh, ethnic, ethnic group, male, female, LGBTQ, 
I am appalled by anybody that says they're going to stay home. They're not going to vote because their candidate isn't, you know, just sipping their cup of tea perfectly. Give me a break. Yeah, I know. Look at the Jim Crow South. How long did that go on? 50 or 60 years where he denied the people to vote yeah. and discouraged them from voting? Yeah. When we all we all have to be, I mean, come on. In, in the we we got to get on the book. In the wonderful yeah. words of, of Fannie Lou Hamer, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know, she was vilified yeah, for the for, for her push toward voting rights for all Americans, and um, you know, the, the suppressing the suppressing the right um, to vote is it, it's it's such a big deal because it, not only is it suppression, but it's also the gendering. So this is, there's a suppression which is creating all these hoops to jump through and hell to step over. But it's also the gerrymandering, which has thrown off so many districts throughout the country. Um, and yeah, I hear the phrase, well, the Democrats do it too. The Republicans do it tenfold in Republican states and red, red areas. So Jim, we're going to be coming up on a break and, and, and Paul, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Paul, you have a great weekend. Thanks. Thanks. You thanks you have, Jim. Have a great, you have a great weekend. All right. I love my man, Jim, when he calls in. We're going to hit a quick break, guys. The number is 773-763-9278. Stay tuned. When we get back, we have a guest that's calling in, and you're going to want to hear what she has to say. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. Welcome back, you guys. Thanks for plugging in to us this Friday. Beautiful, uh, sunny Friday. I think it was 57 degrees when I jumped out of the car, Paul, so... Can't beat that on December 8th, 2023. Jim said earlier that we're going to soon uh, be packing it up, though, because the temperature is going to tra- change. It probably will, as it always does here. But as I always say to my wonderful wife, if we can get through December without too much snow, January, February, and March, we can certainly uh, we can handle that. So it looks like at least the first eight days of December haven't, are gonna, haven't been too bad. So... Um, I've learned to not complain about the weather any longer because it, it, not like I can impact it. I can impact the climate, but I can't impact the weather. And there is a difference. So right now, as I said, stay tuned. Um, we have one of our wonderful uh, um, members of the, the, the progressive conversation and progressive um, um, supporters and certainly a supporter of WCPT and um, the family meeting. Uh, on hold right now, and it is my good friend and our good friend, Natalie Ziemba, who is newly elected as of last April. You guys remember she was running for one of the city council seats up in good old Woodstock. And Natalie, welcome to the show. Hey, Richard. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? You got a smile on your face? I sure do. How can you tell? (laughs) I don't know. I just had a feeling. (laughs) Because I always do. Yes, you do. You do. You do. So how how are you doing today? Good? I'm doing great. Yeah, the weather's wonderful here in Woodstock. Uh, The celebratory spirit is out. People, I think, are feeling good. And, yeah, I'm getting ready to make uh, a several hundred Polish pierogi with my mom and my sisters-in-law this weekend. So uh, we are in preparation to do all of that. So we'll start making the dough tonight, refrigerated overnight. I have all of my fillings made, and we'll start rolling out, punching all those, cooking them, and vacuum sealing them to give as gifts and to use during the holidays. Oh, man. Uh, That that just... 
I saw I saw Paul over there looking like, hmm, this sounds pretty good. That sounds exciting. Yeah. That sounds exciting. Well, I'm glad you're going to be able to spend time with uh, with mom and family doing a what sounds to be um, sounds like a tradition. It sure is. It absolutely is. Yes, our Polish heritage is very important to us, and it's one of those traditions that some people, you know, they like to make pies for the holidays or they'll do cookies. We are a savory family, and so we enjoy doing this. It's it's just wonderful because it brings us together. We open a couple bottles of wine. We stand around the kitchen island. We share. We talk. We laugh. And it's it's one of those things that just warms your heart. So, and then I get to share them with with my loved ones and my friends and my family throughout the holidays. So it's it's really fun. That's fantastic. Well, I'm I'm all about uh, doing the traditional thing, and particularly when it comes to food, which we all that is our that is one of our common connective to, uh, items that we have. And I think I, I think I've told you this before. Um, one of my nicknames has been Chewbacca, which is kind of a an easy one. But another one that I had growing up, because I grew up in such a blended community of folks from, you know, all over the world, and it was I used to say that I had I grew up in a melting pot of of ethnicities, one of which was Polish, one one of which was Lithuanian, of course, um, African American, Jewish. We had a little, Italian, we had a little bit of everybody, a Greek, and it was cool because for me. Um, it, it created a understanding of truly we are that rainbow of, of, of folks. Didn't mean that we didn't have issues, but that was part of the, the dialogue. And it also, um, from a purely I love food standpoint, it created just a great sharing of food. And, you know, I know that's not why you called in today, but the cool thing about it is, you know, and then that, that, that's when I adopted the other nickname I had growing up. Because, you know, Natalie, I'm also Polish. And my that nickname yeah. was Chewski, so you know that's uh, that's always been one of my my fun moments. But somebody we know is a hey, Richard. You and I are kindred in so many ways. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. I, yeah. I try to I try to say that uh, that I've got a little bit of all of the world in my in my uh, in my heritage. I know that I'm I know I'm African American, but I also know that my my friends and and family and other you know business associates and all that are a blend, and, and I wouldn't have it any other way. So, um, as Eric and I say, we've been black all of our lives, but we know who our who our friends and our family are. So. Talk to me. Absolutely. And, and a lot of times nowadays, it, people call that your chosen family, right? You Absolutely. have your, your family by birth. You have your family by your, your heritage, how you were raised, who you grew up with. And then as we, as we age and we go through life, we choose who we want to be with many times. And sometimes those are just the best, closest, warmest relationships. So yep. thank you for being in my chosen family. You too. Absolutely. And, and Anne sends a shout out to you because she was thrilled to, uh, to have met you recently and, and all that good stuff. So tell me, tell us how things are going. I know you've got, you know, a whole bunch of irons in the fire as you always do and you navigate them so very well. But as a newly elected, recently elected member of the Woodstock City Council, how are things going? And that's a big, broad question. Yes. Well, I get asked this a lot, as you as you can imagine. And I say, first and foremost, I love it. Good. I really love it. I think it's because partly my gregarious nature, as you know, I'm a people person. I'm a relationship person. So I really try to lean into that first. And I always try to tell my constituents, whether you voted for me or not, 
please know I am here to listen to you. Whether that means you send me an email, whether that means you call and we have a conversation on the phone, whether that means we meet for a cup of coffee, or whether that means you come to a council meeting. As I always tell people, I welcome you. You, you, you voted for us. We are your elected. We represent you in this community. And we are a community of about almost 26,000 people. We are here to represent you and your interests. So if you don't feel heard and you don't feel that you have a voice, I want you to come to that microphone. I want you at those meetings every other Tuesday, even if you just take a few minutes to address the seven members of your council. Uh, Our council here is a mayor plus six elected council members. So the seven of us want to hear from you. And the more I can engage and the more I can welcome people to come and talk to us, they feel heard, they feel more well represented. Because at the end of the day, I have to make a choice of what is good for them but what is good for my conscience, right? And so a lot of times I really have to do all of the reading. It's a lot of preparation. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. I get to go to ribbon cuttings. I get to go to community events, which I absolutely love. But I have to do a lot of reading, and I have to do a lot of preparation for these meetings, and that takes time. And I don't mind doing it because when I, when I sit behind that desk, behind the microphone, and I look out and I, I'm listening to the people that I'm representing, it makes me feel really good that I'm, I'm doing a good job and that I was duly elected fairly. And I look at my other council members and think, you know, yeah, we're representing the people. And isn't it fun? And isn't it what a privilege to be able to do this? So I am just loving it. That's and great. it's keeping me busy. It's keeping me involved. I have my finger on the pulse of what's going on right here locally. And then Trying to engage, of course, I'm a Rotary member, so again, that's keeping me super active right now, especially during the holidays. We have Christmas Clearing House going on. We have a beautiful new Santa hut that's um, put put together by Rotary members here in the community. And volunteering from December 1st to December 23rd, uh, you know, el- elfing and volunteering at the beautiful Woodstock Square at the <laughs> Elf Hut. And it's really fun because it gets the community out and you get to meet, you know, the next generation of, of local members of the community. I'm also, you know, of course, hard, hard time. The holidays are really difficult for people dealing with caregiving, Alzheimer's, dementia. And so it's part of being an Alzheimer's. Association Volunteer Ambassador, a lot of time spent helping families navigate those conversations. And then, of course, I work full time, (laughs) you know, navigating my my job and my career and trying to keep all of the plates spinning up in the air. Right. That's it. And you do it. You're obviously you're doing that. And and obviously we uh, support what you've been doing um, since you've been elected. And we're really proud of you and and, and also, you know, grateful that we were able to be to some extent a part of that, both in general CPT, but uh, specifically the family meeting. And you know how much Eric and I are ready to start campaigning for you as our next uh, state senator, um, but we also recognize that you've got a lot that you're doing right now. But you know, we, we, I said state senator. I meant to say U.S. senator. I apologize for that. We want to we, we want to vault you right to that spot because of the, I know you do. the energy and the positivity and the focus and the preparation. I mean, the reading that you just spoke of that's critically important, and that's one of the things that that I knew and know about you. And it leads me to a question that I, two questions that I have. One of them is. So what's the, I know when I, when you were, when you were running, I asked you a number of questions about, 
your objectives, your goals, what you wanted to get done. So what's the thing or the number one thing that you have accomplished since being elected uh, this past April? Yeah, there's been a lot of things in front of us as a council. The, there's no doubt that this community, I would say we're more of like a collar community. Some people call us a suburb, but we're really close to the Wisconsin border. You know, that's how far northwest we are. So although Woodstock is almost your last stop on the Union Pacific Northwest train line, we're a little bit different. We're, we're not in Arlington Heights. We're not a Palatine. Even though they are on our train line, we are a small, charming, very historic community. So preserving that historical nature, that charm is very important to me. But I still want to lean into things and look very forward thinking. What is this community going to look like in about 10 to 15 years? We're going to be larger. We're going to have better infrastructure. We're doing things like improving our roads, improving our streets, getting things in tip-top shape, because one of the major things that's coming down the pipeline, and it's not avoidable, is the growth in this area, number one. And number two, we're going to be expanding one of our major thoroughfares, which is Route 47 North. So as you, if you're coming west on, on 90, on the Jane Adams, and you would exit 47, and go north, first you're going to hit Huntley, which has seen massive growth in the last, probably last decade or so. And then you go even further north, then you hit Woodstock, and things start narrowing on our roads. We're only a two-lane road there on, on 47 coming through. Well, it's a your way to get to Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. And so we are working with IDOT right now in uh, cooperation with them. And, of course, projects like this take years and years and years to go through approval and budgets, right? Right. But we know it's going to happen. So while I am still on council, I am working to shepherd that project through uh, and make sure that the state and IDOT is helping, of course, to fund that project. And I think that is going to bring not only in ease in traffic for, for our community and our residents, but also more tourism and more visitors, which I can't wait to welcome more and more people here. People know of Woodstock is the place where Groundhog Day was filmed, and yes, <laughs> it really does look like that. So when you watch the, the, the great movie with Bill Murray, yes, the square in Woodstock, all of these wonderful, charming, quaint little places and small businesses, we are a community of small local businesses, and so I'm working, of course, to support them and to work with our business development directors to welcome in more and more of those small local businesses. Because I think having a circular local micro economy is really important. We want to see people working. We want to see people in, in wonderful jobs, but also entrepreneurs who feel welcomed right here in our community. So those are kind of two of the, the big initiatives that I'm looking for. And then when we spoke earlier, when I was campaigning and running, looking for people who are either unhoused or struggling to find stable housing is really important. So I'm working with a couple of nonprofits to be on the lookout and be on guard for our more vulnerable populations right here in Woodstock because they are here and I'm, I want to be a resource for them. Wow, that is just fantastic, Natalie. And and folks like me are not surprised at, one, that you got elected, two, that you've taken it so very seriously, and three, and beyond, that you are leaning into the things that are going to matter uh, for the folks that are in your community that that help get you elected, whether and then those that even those that didn't vote for you, but but you you recognize the importance of. And President Biden says this: 
I, you know, whether you voted for me or not, I'm here to represent you as a member of the country, and in your case, a member of, of the Woodstock community. I, and I know we're going to wrap up because we got to uh, jump to a break in a second. But Natalie, I, I just want to say this in closing. First of all, it's great to have had you on. We will definitely have you back on again. And and you know, Eric and I are going to make sure we get you and and Karen and a few others in the studio sometime after the new year. But I want to tell you that we're super proud of what you're doing. You did the thing that's hard to do, and that's to get into an election. You as well as Allison, who you had a chance to meet a couple of weeks ago, you got into an election. You guys leaned in. You won. You pulled out people who needed need your kind of leadership, and that's to be highly commended. And we're super proud of you, and we're, we're glad you're part of the uh, WCPT and fam, uh, family meeting families. You are so welcome, and of course, thank you very much. And I have Tom next to me, and he said, when are we going to go golf? I need to know when Richard and I are going to make that happen. We, so. will make, we will make it. It'll be a 2024 <laughs> item. I promise you, Tom, we will be out on the links this, this spring and summer. I will make my way up half. We'll meet halfway somewhere and we'll play and we'll play lots of golf. Cause I'm, I'm, you know, I, I love to play and I'm excited about, I always get excited about the next season. So uh, that will definitely yeah. happen. Natalie. And as you know, I don't. I just like the social aspect. Hey, well, that, so. that's fine. You know, the, the, the four of us can go out and, and two of us will play and two of us will watch the other two play. So that'll be that'll That be sounds fun. amazing. Natalie, awesome. Zamba, so y'all. Much, thank you so much for calling in. Have a great rest of the day and a good weekend. We're going to take a quick break. The number is 773-763-9278. We will be right back. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. And we are back, guys. Thank you so much for holding. And obviously, big ups to our uh, callers today, Karen uh, and Anita, who have their new podcast, as well as um, our wonderful friend, Natalie Zamba, who was recently, back in April, uh, elected to the Woodstock City Council. And she's doing great work up there. Um, Eric and I tease her a lot, sort of about uh, being one of our next U.S. senators. And, um, you know, listen, to do what she's done and to do what our other friend Allison Longenbaugh out in Naperville have done, which is to lean in and run and get elected to a local position is important because, you know, all politics are local and then they expand. And so these are two women who have taken the, t- t- taken the position that they're going to not just sit on the sidelines, but they're going to get in the mix and, and do things. And, and it sounds like Natalie is um, really making some th- some things happen. We're going to get Allison on the show at some point. She's super busy right now uh, with some city council things out of Naperville, but also just um, you know regular work stuff. So right now, though, we've got a person who's holding and been very patient with us. Max, as I say, you're calling hey, from I'm- North Carolina. Uh, yeah, so I'm calling from North Carolina, but I I work on the on the whole coast. I actually work on the Mackinac sailboat race up in Chicago. Too. No way. I work on sailboat. Yeah, I do. I've been doing that for 30, 35, 40 years now. That's amazing. But, you know, like, I, 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 I was uh, driving back from Florida, and one thing that I noticed is that I see more and more homeless people. And, and uh, today I got my... Because I, I donate to the Charlotte Rescue Mission and to the Los Angeles Rescue Mission, and I got I got a letter about this young lady, who you know like she was on drugs, she got off them. You know we got a pretty good program for the for homeless, and uh, they you know they got her a job and stuff like that. But you know the thing is now that we know that that job is low paying, mm-hmm. so now she's got off her feet and she's going to be struggling like like the rest of most of 
uh, American today in, in our workforce. You know, our, our government, you know, I, I, I listen to the news, and I mean, I read the papers, and our government is spending billions, if not trillions, of dollars on foreign aid to kill people. Yeah. Instead of helping Americans here at home. And, and we, we to, right now, we have the most homeless people, the second most homeless people in the United States and, the, and from World War II. Yeah. That was, that, from, that's what they did. The, and we had one before, and, and this is the second one. The, and I don't even, because that, that was a report that I read maybe two months ago. So we, we may be topping that now. I mean, I see families standing on the street asking for help. Yeah. Okay, and, and earlier what you were saying about Gaza, the people, if you read Hara, the Israeli paper, mm-hmm. it says inside there that Hamas will not stop to their able to govern themselves. Okay, so basically this is what, what that's about, that they do not want to be occupied anymore. They do not want to live in an open-air prison where their children are being shot. Okay, and you said that you're part Irish? No. Well, Rachel I, Corey. I, no, I didn't say that. Rachel, okay, well, some, someone was saying something about Irish. Rachel Corey, if you go to Rachel Corey's interview, mm-hmm. she was part Irish. The Israelis like calling her uh, Saint Pancake. Mm-hmm. If you watch her when she was a five-year-old girl, this young lady was growing up an American to to basically help people that wanted to stop hunger in the United States. Uh, there's an inter- interview. Well, there's a video of her when she was nine years old talking about this. Okay, so you know, like, so you know, the the thing is that what I'm getting at. She she said. That Rachel Corey's interview was 20 years ago, okay? And what is going on over there in Gaza today? Children being shot by Israelis anytime they want. You don't go to jail for it. You know, that's been going on ever since she reported on it. And this is what that's about. So when you're talking about that, we're supporting that, and we're having people over here on the streets living. I don't know where, but I know it's cold up in, in, in Chicago and that has got to end. We need to st- we need to have a president that's going to support the American people. And you're right, Trump does not support the American people. But Max, but I appreciate Biden doesn't seem to be doing much better. Well, okay? it, better is still better than 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 not. So I mean, I I, I hear that a lot. Oh. And, and Max, thank you for, so much for giving us a call. I'll I'll, um, uh, I'll let you go. But thank you so much for calling in. And 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 I want to kind of chat about what he said with the homeless concerns that's that's a global issue and certainly uh, growing across the the, the United States um, but I know we got to come up on a break in a second so I don't want to want to blow past that I don't want Paul throwing anything at me again but uh, we're going to take a break when we come back I, I do want to touch briefly on some of the things that Max said because they are part of the conversation that I that I did want to have today so the number is seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight and we will be right back Joan Esposito live local and progressive on WCPT 820. We're back. This is Richard Chu sitting in for the Great Zone. Joan Esposito. The number is 773-763-9278. You hear me on Sundays on the Family Meeting radio show here on WCPT from 4 to 6 p.m. And this past week, we um, we, we kind of 
dove into the conversation about uh, where is our humanity, not just here in the United States, but across the globe. And what's happening in the Middle East, specifically um, the conflict between uh, Hamas and Israel, is awful. There are so many words, adjectives to use to describe it. At the end of the day, um, as Eric uh, Grant and I say often during the family meeting, is that humanity has, as as much as anything right now, I, my belief or my observation at least is that humanity is definitely in chaos right now. Um, and I look at that not just as what's happening in the Middle East, specifically the conflict between Hamas and Palestine, but I look at it as it relates to what's happening with some of the issues in the United States and guns and the number of killings, the number of mass murders and killings that are taking place. Um, we, we've gotten so far away from things that I think matter when it comes to taking care of each other and protecting each other. And that's, under, I mean, it's not understandable. It's certainly something that we know has happened uh, over time. We didn't get here immediately. I, I kind of look at that conversation like, you know, losing weight. You know, the 10 pounds that you put on, you didn't put those all in, all on in one day necessarily. It took place over time. And what I see when it comes to some of our uh, humanity and the chaos that's surrounding it is that this has happened over time. So where am I going with this? Um, I'm going down the, the, the alley of um, all hands on deck. And so I'll, I'll, I'll give a little bit of... Um, I don't know, definition as to what that means to me right now and how I think it's vitally important that we have all hands on deck. So there's a conversation that's going on in the country that gets into the the weeds a little bit, but I, I have to have to deal with it in the best manner that I can. Um, and it circles around this conversation about the the people who are not or are saying that they may not vote for President Biden in the 2024 election. And two groups that have been identified in some of the conversation, and we, we may bounce in and out of this topic for the rest of the show due to the, um, the you know, just keeping on pace with our, with our breaks. But there are two groups that have been um, written about, talked about, and, and certainly put in my, um, in my conversations as it relates to voting in 2024. One of those groups happens to be, generically speaking, younger voters. What does that mean? What's the, top, what's the top? What's the bottom? What's the average? Younger voters, what is that defined as? So sometimes people are saying younger Gen X and millennials. Okay. That's not a group I'm a, that I'm a part of based on my age. Uh, but I understand that that's a conversation that's being put out there. Some of it's a distraction because those are t- the, the so two of the faster growing voting groups are Gen Z and Gen X. Uh, I'm sorry, Gen Z uh, um, millennials and Gen X. And so one of the distractions that's out there is that those groups are, are quote unquote, not going to vote for the Democratic uh, ticket in 2024. I haven't seen evidence that substantially and substantively supports that. I've seen outlying and outlier um, polls, if you will, that don't necessarily validate that. 
But it doesn't mean that the Democratic leadership, the DNC and the president's administration can take their eye off of any group. I think that Howard Dean had it right years ago that we have to have a 50 state solution and we have to have an all voting groups solution. We can't just say that this group is the one that's the up and coming group of voters and we need to lean into that. No, we need to. It needs to be a full 50 state and a full all voter um, outreach. And it has to be consistent and regular, not just with regard to the next upcoming election. Now, the other group that is being touted as a group that's not going to vote for the Biden ticket is uh, our black male voters. And that's one that I can speak to. And as I said, we may float in and out of this um, over the next, um, you know, hour and a half of the show. But when I said earlier about all hands on deck as it relates to humanity, I, I do stream this all together because I see it from a very um, broad base, but then with specific pieces. It's all hand on, hands on deck right now. And I use this phrase in talking with uh, a few people in the last 48 hours since the, since the debate. And that is we as progressives cannot allow anybody that's in the conversation to be excluded from the conversation. We have to get people involved and keep them involved in this process. How we've gotten here over time is because people have been inconsistent. And I'll give you an example. In the 2020, in the 2008 election, Barack Obama was nominated president. In the 2010 midterms, the, the, the Democrats lost the, the House. And it, it really basically created this permanent hurdle for President Obama's administration to get certain things done. And at that time, I heard a lot of black, um, black folks in general, specifically black men saying, quote, Obama ain't doing nothing for black men. Well, first of all, he wasn't elected to do anything for black men. He was elected to do things for the country. And I called that out when I heard it stated back then. And so I fast forward to now and I hear this conversation that black men are slipping away from the Democratic Party as it relates to this upcoming election. I've seen some outlier numbers and I've seen some statisticians that are creating a conversation for reasons that are political. And I've, I've, I can back that up by the data that I've read. But it doesn't mean and I take this to what Reverend Al Sharpton said um, and some of the elected members of the black congressional caucus have said that the democratic leadership cannot take its eyes off of any group. And we can start with the one that I'm most immediately a part of, and that's black male voters. So I've got some percentages that I want to share with folks as it relates to how we have to really assess our voting blocks as we go forward with this next election and those thereafter. But we're going to take a quick break because I know that um, I, I've been dodging Paul's um, balls that he's been throwing at me about, you know, stay on point. So we're going to stay on point. We've got a break coming up. The number is 773-763-9278. When we come back, I'm going to talk on this subject again and we'll grab some calls. Joan Esposito, live, local and progressive on WCPT 820. We're back, guys. I want to grab a quick call. Let's uh, let's go to Don um, in Wheaton. Hey, Don, what's going on? You wanted to talk a little bit about Tuberville. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when he uh, when he he uh, 
pardoned or, or uh, allowed uh, all of the people in the military, uh, you know, the, that were, were waiting to be uh, sworn in. Uh, he left out uh, all of the top people, all of the, all of the four-star generals, which I right. think were eleven. And uh, without without them being sworn in, uh, they're they're just uh, he's just waiting for Trump to get back in office, and then he can put in some wild people up there at the top. Yeah, you know, out for that, so. you know, Don, I've, I've heard that, and yeah, no, I've heard that uh, that conversation. And, you know, that there's some validity to that being the reason or rationale that he that he's doing it. Um, I'll take the baby steps of, of making sure that others that should have been recognized, should have been promoted, should have been, you know, should have gotten their raises and such that that's happening. So the baby steps are important. But I also recognize that as we do get um, further on. Uh, that that's one of the moves that I have heard by some credible people that um, that uh, they're looking to do. But, you know, what what matters in that space is we have to hold the Senate um, because like anything, without having the, that power, um, we, you know, we, we basically are going to yield those positions. So we have to hold the Senate. And that's a big part of this conversation, but you're right. There has been yeah. uh, definitely um, a leaning in to keeping those top, um, those, those, those leading generals uh, n- not granted so that, that, um, that 45 can do, uh, do what he wants to do. So we've got work to do. We've got to make sure that we get out, we keep people out uh, engaged and, and ready to vote and do the work that we have to do. Um, yeah, and we have to make sure that we hold the Senate. Yeah. Could I add something? Sure, absolutely. Uh, those 400 people that uh, he has been allowed to go through, uh, they will have no sway against the four-star generals that uh, could possibly be put in. So it is a real serious issue that, uh, like you say, you know, it should be looked into more, you know, to find out why that is. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, listen, uh, Don, one of the other things too, I wanted, to, wanted to, to, pres- to, to mention on this is that, uh, I said this earlier, the, 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 big, the big issue, one of the big issues that I see on it is it's based on something that is a real partisan issue, and that is for women to have the ability in the military to travel as, ne- as needed if there is a need for um, an abortion. And that's certainly an item that I think right now um, is continuing to be divisive. And obviously in our in our, you know, sacred and vaunted military, it's it's pushing that envelope greatly. So, you know, again, like I said a moment ago, we have to be involved. We have to lean in. We have to make sure that we are active and that we are getting people out to vote. No one can stay at home. No one can say that because they they haven't gotten everything that they wanted with this with the current Biden administration that they're not going to vote. That's unacceptable, and that it leads to That's the right. to the devastation that we all don't want to see in here. So, listen, Don. Thank you so much for calling in and supporting us. And make sure you're in, you're active. Get involved now. Don't wait. Don't wait till sixty days or the convention next summer. Get involved now. Making sure that you're getting people out to vote. So, but thanks for giving us a call today. Have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. All right. Be well. Bye. So 
one of the things that I that I um, talked uh, touched on right before we went to break is uh, this conversation around uh, black men losing faith in Biden uh, and Democrats in 2024. And I know that there is a there's a certain amount of in context with this conversation that we can certainly have. And I want to talk about that. And I also want to talk because that's a real thing. There is a there there are um, a lot of voices in the black male voting community that are saying that they're unhappy with what the Democrats are, have done or not done or Biden has done or not done. So I'm going to strike this a couple different ways. The first one is that doesn't give you the right as a voter, period. If you call yourself a progressive, a Democrat, a liberal, listen, I know the history of the Democratic Party. I know it's it, it's a, it, it's got some awful pieces to it and not just 50 year ago history. I'm talking 20 year ago history. There's some parts of the Democratic Party that absolutely are horrible. OK, I get that. However, when I hear people say things like um, Biden's not doing enough or Biden's not doing this or Biden's not doing that. And when I say people, let me stay on point with when I hear that from black male voters, I get that because I am one. And I go back to something that I said earlier when we had a caller uh, call in about when we look at this as it relates to policy. So the Democratic leadership has not done all the things that I would want them to do. I'll be the first to say that I was critical of President Obama in one very specific area as a black man. And that was as a president. Yeah, he didn't get elected um, to change in individually change things for any particular group in the country. So I don't need to laundry list those the, the different groups. But one of the things that I always wanted to see as an optics item was a leadership that surrounded him that looked like him. And I always felt that that was an opportunity to send a message to young black men that President Obama had his eyes open to the optics of seeing other black men as part of his leadership. That's one of the things that I made as an observation, and I wish that he had done and, and presented more openly to the, to, to the country. And I have no apologies for that. That's what I felt would have been nice to see. You may criticize me for that, and I don't really care, because that's what I felt that I would like to have seen. That being said, as relate, relates to where we are now with black male voters and this supposed uh, losing faith in Biden and the Democrats in 2024, um, the reason that that's a conversation that has to be had is because if it is happening and if it's real, then it goes back to what I said earlier about we can't leave any group out of the conversation, period, whether it be black men, white, black women, white women, Hispanic women, on it, the list goes on. As progressives, our job is to have an all-inclusive, full-on you know, assault with all of our players. And all of our players means all of our players. Now, granted, there are going to be people that aren't going to be happy with what they are getting or not getting as a part of the, you know, the political conversation. But I will say this to you as a question. Name the things to me that Donald Trump, who is the alternative potential uh, Republican nominee this time around, name the things specifically that that leadership that administration provided as a member of these communities that say that they're losing faith in Biden and Democrats, that 
that they provided, that they got done, that they made happen to make the life better. And then we can have a conversation. Because if you don't get to, you know, you don't get to say you're going to not support Biden and the Democrats um, without there being some challenges to that as a person of any of these particular groups. And I'm speaking specifically as an African-American man. We've got to go into a break. I don't want to miss that opportunity, but we want you to call in on this. 773-763. Oh, we're good. Oh, cool. Then we'll keep going. So. You don't get to walk away from what President Biden and Vice President uh, Harris and the rest of the administration have tried to do when we're at a point, an inflection point, whatever you want to call it, save our democracy point and vote for the guy who told you that he's going to come and take your stuff. You don't get that opportunity. You don't have that. I'm sorry. You do not, during this time of crisis and chaos, as I said earlier, get to abandon the better option. I hear people say often, oh, Biden's not doing that well. He's not doing this. He's not doing that. He's too old. He's this, he's that, and the other. Right now, the option, the alternative is someone who has made it clear that if he gets a second opportunity, he's going to make the lives of those people who said that they aren't going to support Biden and the Democrats. He was going to make those lives more difficult. Donald Trump has made it clear that that's what he plans on doing. During the debate, Chris Christie made it clear. And you might say, you know, he went down, I I will say, he kind of went down, he's gone down swinging and fighting. And yeah, I wish he had said more and done more and all that. And I've been, I was hypercritical of that. And we're going to, we've got some clips we're going to play. But doggone it, you don't, Get the opportunity to lead this country again when you've told members of, the, of this country that you're going to cause them harm. You have to be out of your mind as a black man, as a white woman, as a Hispanic male, as a Jewish woman, on and on and on to want to vote for someone that told you they're going to assault you. They're going to cause you harm. You may be critical of me for being that matter of fact in your face about it. But I am unapologetic about you saying anybody that's in any of these particular groups, I've lost faith in Biden and the Democrats and I might not vote or I've lost faith in Biden and the Democrats and I might vote for Trump. You've got to be out of your ever loving mind when someone has told you they're going to stab you and you're going to let them in your house. There is no other way to approach it. You could come at me with all the, yeah, but you know, Richard, Biden hasn't done this and Biden hasn't done that and Biden's too old and nobody's going to vote for a black woman as, as president. Nobody's going to uh, a vice president or potential president and all these other things. But you don't get to abandon ship when we're heading into a storm. And trust me, y'all, we're heading into a storm. And if you decide that you're going to abandon the, 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 the Biden-Harris ticket because you didn't get everything you wanted, grow the hell up. Period. Take a look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, why is it really, truly that you would do that? Why would you abandon ship? Would you abandon your family if your family were headed into a crisis? Oh, I don't like the fact that my husband or wife didn't take out the trash or wash the car. You're going to abandon them? 
And I'm not belittling or making light of any of the things that are going on in anybody's life, but this is not the time to decide I'm going to abandon ship. And I'm speaking, yes, because I'm a black man. I'm speaking to black men. No, this is not that time. Hell, I didn't get everything that I wanted when President Obama was in his two terms. When I say what I wanted, things that I wanted for the country, but it doesn't mean I suddenly abandoned ship and decided to vote for another candidate because I felt that he had our best interest to the best of his ability top of mind. I feel that President Biden is the same of the same ilk right now. I know if I'm going to believe that Donald Trump is telling his truth that he's going to cause harm. That's what a previous caller said, Anita, who called in from Texas, saying her fear is what he said he's going to do. Chris Christie said it uh, two nights ago. That's his fear. And this dude's a Republican. His fear is worrying about the dictatorship that Donald Trump wants to, to, to lead us down that path. So now that I've had my rant about this, let's talk about the numbers as it relates to percentages of voters. There's about 15 million African-Americans in the United States of America, based on the last, thing, last numbers that I looked at. And let's just say that half of those are black men and those are voters. And, half, and, and let's say 100% of those are voters, registered voters. In the top 10 metropolitan areas in the country, which is where the majority of the black vote um, is measured as it relates to our national elections. So if, a, if 15% of that population voted for Trump in the 2020 election, Biden still won and still got the greater percentage of voters, black male voters. If that number goes up by 5% to 20%, do the math by comparison. Many people don't realize that from the 2016 to the 2020 election, what happened? 53% of white women voted for Donald Trump in the 2016 election, and 57% of white women voted for Donald Trump in the 2020 election. That percentage of increase of white women voters for Donald Trump from 16 to 20 is greater in numbers than the amount of the 5% potential increase that's being projected of black men that are going to not vote for Biden in 2024. So do the math. If there's a real group of people that we need to adjust the percentages with, it's white women voters because if the population, the voting population in the country is somewhere in the range of 180 million people, that's, that, then that, I could be off a little bit one way or the other. And if the, the, the greater percentage of, of white voters is white female voters, then that's where the real math is. That's where the real numbers are. It's, it's getting, it's capturing more white women to vote for Biden this time around than even voted in 2020. It's just math as the phrase goes. It's not to say that black men are to be taken for granted. I'm not saying that. So nobody said that I did. But let's look at the numbers and come back to the conversation point I made before. All groups are important. And if, there's a, if there is a legitimate criticism of the Democratic Party and the, of the progressive movement, it's that it's taken too long for elected officials to get done the items that they campaign on. And one of the frustrations that is often voiced by black men and black women too, but certainly a black by black men is that there's a lot of empty promises. 
There are lots of dollars spent to bring in other groups, suburban voters and uh, other other uh, of color voters, but not focus on issues that are important to black men. I know I know precisely that those thoughts and those conversations because I've been a part of them. So I'm going on and I and to some extent I have a rant about this because it's important and it's near and dear to me. At the same time, I look at the numbers and say, maintain what we've accomplished and and increase the numbers of people broadly that we can reach throughout the country. Like Howard Dean said years ago, having a 50 state solution, because if we do that and we have, as I said earlier, all hands on deck which, by the way, does include, as I said to uh, a few folks this week, it does include those who are on the Republican side that have worked their way to the middle, that have a message that we have to keep Donald Trump out of office. It means those people, too. It does mean that we've got to hear as objectively as we can what Chris Christie said during the debate. And we've got to hear what people like Adam Kensinger are saying and that uh, Liz Cheney are saying, yeah, I got issues with their voting record. I made that public. I've said that numbers of times on the family meeting. However, we have to make it clear that in this need to embrace all hands on deck to stem this tide and push it back, it may take some embracing of those who we've had issues with politically, Liz, Adam, a number of others, uh, Republicans that have left the Republican Party, the never Trumpers and the Chris Christie's of the world. If we're going to do the work we have to do. So I know we're coming up on a break for real this time. And I wanted to, I, I need, I wanted to get into this conversation because it's one that a number of progressive progressives that I know have come to me and said, rich, what's happening with black men when it comes to this upcoming election. And I'm not a, I'm not the, you know, the, the sole voice of, of black men in America, but that's my take on it. That's my observation. And um, I think that we have to lean in together we have to have all hands on deck, and we have to make sure that we push back the chaos of the Republican Party, starting with Donald Trump. The number is 773-763-9278. We'll be right back. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. And we are back, guys. Thanks for uh, being with us today, and, and I appreciate that uh, I'm able to send in for Joan. Um, <laughs> some of the most amazing conversations happen during the break. I don't care which, if it's here, whether I'm sitting in for Joan or sitting in for Santita or obviously on the family meeting on Sundays from 4 to 6 p.m. Uh, during the break, I would love to be a fly on the wall during the family meeting. Cause I'm, you know, I'm usually before the show, I'll say, right. Hey, or whatever, but like, I can only imagine what it's like in here during the breaks. Oh, it's, 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 it's what you and I just experienced, yeah, what we yeah. just did. It's that times 10. <laughs> and, and of course all the colorful language is at, you know, at a paramount, but you know, Paul and I were talking during the break about, you know, just the things that happen. And I said that. You know, obviously, my, my topic before we went to break certainly lit up the phone lines. And there's 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 so much that's going on. I said at the beginning of the show, we have chaos led by the Republican Party right now and the Republican followers. You can call them maggots. You can call them whatever. But that's clearly there. And my belief, my feeling, my responsibility to a great extent is to lean into that stuff. I'm not going to back down for it, back down from it, rather, because I would be stupid and irresponsible if I did. I recognize 
that as a black dude in America, I stand on the shoulders of many, many people of all communities, but most certainly those that are black. So I am not one to shy away from these conversations on either angle of the topic. So, yes, I'm a you know, right now we have to lean in as a community of people who call ourselves progressives, liberals, Democrats, to beat back the chaos that's coming towards us from the Republican Party and those who follow them. Republican elected officials, I should say, and those who follow them. That includes many of the business owners and businesses that have, they have a direct benefit to making sure that women do not have the right to choose, that Roe v. Wade being overturned is going to um, benefit a certain group of people. You tell me, how in the hell does a woman in Texas have to beg anybody to protect herself and her baby and the desire to have children in her future. That benefits that, that horror that she is going through does not benefit her. There is no God that I know of. And I was raised in a Christian household, whatever that means. There is nothing that I've read in the, in the Bible in the the Quran or the Torah that says that anybody should suffer that kind of horror not by choice. So for her to have to beg institutions to give her the opportunity to relieve herself of pain causes a certain amount of angst in me and certain things that I cannot say on the, I could say them on the air, but it would be the end of me saying them on the air. That's how frustrated I am and angry I am about that situation because Texas and its leadership, if you want to call it that, doesn't give a darn about that woman. It's about maintaining a certain status quo of power. And and if you're offended by my next statement, that means you need to look in the mirror that provides a certain amount of comfort for predominantly white, straight Christian men in America. That's borne itself out. That's not my opinion. Look at the data. That's what it's designed to do. Roe v. Wade being snatched from us as a society. And when I say that, I'm a little upset with the guys out here. Where you're at, guys? Why aren't you standing up for the women you say you respect and love and care so much about? Where are the guys? I'm calling out men. Where are you to support women who are in need on this subject? And to say you don't have a, a quote-unquote, as I heard some knucklehead say, you don't have a horse in that race? Are you out of your mind? Women need us now more than ever when it comes to this conversation of a woman's right to choose. And Roe v. Wade being overturned is probably going to turn out a larger number proportionately of white women voters than we've ever seen before. I believe that's probably true. And I said white women voters because, let's be honest here, we know that suburban white women have, have, have based on the data, not Richard Chu, have historically, going back to the Eisenhower days, have voted as a party and in line with keeping white uh, heteropatriarchy intact. The, the data backs it up. It's not me. And that comes from a history of what's been discussed at the kitchen table, stuff they've heard in the dining room for many years. It makes, uh, you know, casting ballots for folks like Donald Trump feel like a sense of, of pride or, or heroic action. So when we talk about these 
chaos issues, that's a big one. And I'm looking for men to step up to support women on this topic and stop pretending that you can't talk about it as guys. Stop running around with your boys because your boys are leaning in the direction of not having a woman have a right, having the right to choose, that you're too weak to step up and say, what happens if something were to happen to your sister or your aunt or your mother for that matter? You want to take away her right to protect her health? So yeah, I'm, I'm evilly mad about this one because I'm not going to be a wallflower on this. I had never have been, but I certainly won't be a wallflower on this conversation because it impacts all of us, men and women. So guys, step up. Stop lying to yourself. You know that you would never want what happened to this woman in Texas to happen to any woman in your family. And if you don't have the courage to step up and, and defend women's right, a woman's right to choose, then and there's some words I have for you that, like I said, I can't repeat on, say on this air. That took a lot, Paul, but I needed to say it. As I said earlier, all hands on deck. Black men voters, you do not get to abandon ship right now. White women voters, Hispanic women, men, Asian, Middle Eastern that have migrated. You do not get to abandon ship right now because you're ticked off that Biden isn't handling the Middle East crisis the way you want it to be handled. This last hour, I'm coming at you. All these people running around, whining and moaning. Oh, Biden's not doing this. Oh, he didn't do this. If you're Palestinian or if you're Israeli and you're saying that you aren't going to support Biden in 2024 or if you're African-American and you're saying I didn't get what I wanted. If you're female of any community and you're upset and Biden didn't do it. All I'm telling you is if you decide to stay home and not vote. And and more importantly, this next 12, 11 months that we have, you decide to not work toward protecting the things that you say you want. But are you really willing to put in the work to get them? If you stay home or you decide to vote for, for Trump in 2024 and he comes and takes your stuff, don't come begging and whining to me because I will have my behind out campaigning, working hard, being on our shows here on CPT calling into shows where I have friends and folks that are representing and doing work because I believe in keeping our democracy as as frayed as it is in as best tact as possible. My mother used to use a phrase. She used to say, Richard, you can make a great meal out of leftovers. So right now we got a lot of leftovers and frayed ends and frazzled parts to our democracy. We need to tie them together. That's why I said earlier We're in chaos, but our solution, our strength is all hands on deck. And I have to thank my wife for something that she said to me the other day about what's going on as it relates to what I said a moment ago about some of the things that Chris Christie said. Yes, I've been highly critical of him for years and and, and how far he had his head up Trump's behind during Trump's four years in office. But whatever we say about that, right now we have a responsibility to make sure that we reach out to people. We reach out with the with the goal being it ain't perfect, but we have to build on what we have to make it better. Yeah, there's a little bit of a cheerleading um, part to that. There's a little bit of motivation to all of us about this, but we don't have any other choice. The choice to not stay involved is unacceptable. I thought we were progressives. I thought we were Democrats and liberals who want to include everybody. 
So to say that you're not going to vote for Biden because he ain't fixing the Middle East fast enough is utter stupidity. To say that you're not going to vote for Biden because he hasn't fixed problems in the inner city or communities that are largely of color is stupid. It just is. And you can criticize you can criticize that all you want. But until you present an alternative. I I really can't um, I, I can hear you. But I'm not necessarily going to agree with it because you have to present an alternative other than just he's awful. or He's not getting things done fast enough. And I hear this so much of the time in so many of these outlier polls that people are buying into. And what you should do is say, OK, maybe there's some credibility and credence to those polls. But what are we going to do about it to fix it? And that's if there is a criticism of the Democratic Party right now whether it be the DNC or the administration or all the above, is that they can't take those things for granted. But it doesn't mean that it has to be divisive and used as a way to, con- to separate progressives. That's the Republican, ca- Republican chaos goal, is to separate our message and our power and our strength. So before we go to this next break, we're going to take a call. Let's talk to my man, Dave, in Hoffman Estates. Dave, what's going on? Oh, I was just kind of wondering if uh, you were planning on taking any calls today. We've been taking a lot of calls. Where you been? Oh, I haven't been listening too much. There you so go. Anyway, so see, put it put the, the mirror back uh, on yourself. <laughs> I don't do like I did in the past anymore. I just you know get kind of flat right now. So. Okay. The, uh, um, I wasn't going to mention anything like with you about the voting, but I seem to recall I've told you guys before on your show. Let's go turn the Wayback Machine to 2016 mm-hmm. in Macomb County, Michigan, because she wasn't Obama, and she was a woman. A lot of them did not go out and vote then. Look what it did for you. Who is ya? And, then, and, and no, no, they no, no, want no. this guy with their chant of that uh, bring, you know, take us back type of stuff, you know, bring us back America. Back in the 50s, the 40s. I don't think you guys were treated too good back then, were you? Yeah, but you say you guys, so I'm going to make the assumption that you're talking about well, you black, the black Talk about the black voters, right? Black men. Right. Okay. They weren't treated too good back then, right? No. But what do you, yeah. what's your point? Do you want to vote for this guy? Well, that's my point. Th- 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 that's my point. That's what I said earlier. And okay, we're it's on... A- we're- or that, but I wasn't even going to call about that. What I was going to call was the fact about this with the Hamas and Israeli war. And like I asked Hartman, who's going to pay for this when it's all done? The cleanup and the reconstruction of Gaza. Yeah, that's a great question. And, and, and what's the answer? Um, <laughs> I, I won't probably us. Pro, yeah, I mean historically, in because these, in, we, like I told him, we already have paid for years for the Iron Dome with our tax, and we've been supplying armaments, you know, to both. Right. And so I'm pretty sure that we're going to probably get nailed with the, the cleanup. I, I would agree with you, Dave, to 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 a, a, a certain point that they're we are going to have our hands in that in that situation because we are part of the situation as it is to be candid yeah. i mean people can run from that but that's the truth so and secondly real quick so you get your break or whatever do you think these young palestinians and stuff are going to be 
you know, new recruits for Hamas for, you know, what's going on. They keep, you know, telling them to go to the south, and then a day or two later, they're bombing. I'm, I'm trying not to be, you know, I'm trying to be neutral in this whole thing, but uh, it just seems, you know, kind of odd. They're pushing them back there, and then all of a sudden they're bombing the hell out of them. And, you know, yeah. you don't think that they're not going to, you know, have hatred in their eyes? Yeah, that's oh my God, that's, look at the that's kind Nazis. of Nazis. I mean, that Nazis been around ninety or hundred years. That sickness is still there. Well, that's that's one of the things that Eric and I talked about on the family meeting. Dave, thanks for calling in. I'm going to address what yeah, you said. Well. No, have a good weekend. Um, yeah, we got to run to a break in a second. But uh, the, the number is 773-763-9278. Uh, we'll take this break. We'll come back. I'm going to hit your calls. Stay with us. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. And we're back, guys. Thanks for uh, waiting and holding. We've got a number of callers that we want to get to. Uh, let's go to, uh, Dave in San Francisco. Hey Dave, what's going on? Oh, hi Richard. Yeah, I, um, have been trying to get people to vote for years and years and years. And whether it's black voters or women or anybody, uh, just remind them that they own this country and do they want it stolen by, uh, you know, the rich fat cat crooks. Mm -hmm. Uh, they got to protect their birthright. Yep. And I find that actually helps uh, quite a bit. You know, if you uh, tell people that they own it, and if they don't vote, they're throwing away their, uh, their not, ownership. It's not just an opportunity, it's an obligation. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're, so, you uh, go from being an owner to a renter. Not that renting's bad, but when it comes to politics, you want to be an owner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, now, the, um, regarding the... Um, I was also interested in Gaza. And uh, this is pretty much on that same theme that, uh, you know, the so-called religious phonies uh, out there in, in uh, uh, what's called the Holy Land, they discovered oil uh, in 2019. They discovered that there's a massive amount of oil offshore of Gaza and underneath it. And this has nothing to do with uh, a religious uh, war, it has to do with who's going to cash in on that oil. And if you just do a quick Google search of Gaza oil, all of a sudden you're going to discover Chevron shows up. Yeah. So I'm going to bet that if we start doing a boycott of Chevron, uh, that Chevron is going to be able to um, put a stop to uh, the battle out there because it's, uh, you know, follow the money and that's what it's going to be all about. The, uh, uh, there are a number of articles uh, that were, uh, let's see, the United Nations Council on Trade and Development did a piece in 2019 heralding the idea that the Palestinians could actually have a, a decent income if they were to exploit the oil underneath them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, well, gosh darn it, that's when you start to see Netanyahu doing a speech saying that he wants to play the... Uh, Palestinians against each other uh, by supporting Gaza. There's a speech that Netanyahu did encouraging people to uh, uh, to stop hating God, uh, the, to stop hating uh, the. Um, oh, good grief! Uh, what's the horrible group out there? Um, uh, Hamas. Hamas. Yeah. Yeah. He Netanyahu wanted people to support Hamas so that they would be able to be played against the PLO, 
And then Netanyahu would be able to say, oh, these poor Palestinians can't agree with each other. Why should I even bargain with any of them? Yeah. Now, in the long run, and this goes back to the original piece about who owns uh, the country, uh, that the the average Israeli citizen owns that country, the average Palestinian owns that country, and Netanyahu is supposed to be the uh, honest broker. And he's not being the honest broker. He's doing taxation without representation. So the Palestinians are paying taxes in that country, and they're not getting fresh water, they're not getting uh, sewage systems, they're not getting clinics, they're not getting schools, they're not getting you know, good roads or anything. Yeah. It's taxation without representation. And gosh darn it, who's going to move in on it? An oil company allowing uh, the military to blast it all to bits, kick everybody out in the streets, uh, you know, drive them off the land. So all of a sudden there's no uh, mineral there's rights. There's no mineral to rights to the, what's it. going on in that area. Yeah, I know. It's, and that's that's a conversation that, that has to be had. Dave, listen, we got a bunch of callers. I'm going to drop you there, but thank you so much for calling in and um, keep sure. uh, keep on calling and supporting your show. Thanks, Dave. So, you know, the, he makes a good point about where and who's really behind this. I don't have the, the, the haven't done the research on the Chevron pre- piece, but I certainly want to look into that. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Paul, let's go to Pam on the West side. Hey, Pam, what's going on today? Hi, Richard. How are you? It's good, good to hear good. you in conversation. Thank you. What's up? Um, First, I'm going to um, just make a statement with Trump and for those who support him. uh, They supported him the first time and they knew who he was. It was quite okay that he was a racist (laughs) and all that he had done. I mean, that was okay. And now the second go round, they want to try to get him in office again, and which is very troubling to me. So, Richard, my concern is, and, and I'll go specifically to uh, black people, um, when we talk about supporting Trump, I'm hearing the conversation, well, the Democrat, and, and they, they always bring up false equivalencies. Mm-hmm. So I'm hearing that, you know, Hillary and Biden, what they did with the crime bill. Well, of course, you know, there were people that looked like me, me and you, Richard, who were involved in that. Yep. But we want to somehow leave that part of it out. Now, um, Hillary and uh, Biden were willing to concede what had been done, and they wanted it to. They wanted to provide a remedy. So Trump, uh, what let maybe a few hundred people, if that many, I'm not sure, out of jail, and <clears throat> did some pardons. But I'm quite sure that Hillary would have done much more. Mm-hmm. But we didn't see fit just to give her the opportunity. That's true. So I'm gonna. I'm going to ask you, Richard, when you when you said we tried to talk to Trump supporters, because his supporters want to be just as mean and vile and just disrespectful when it comes to talking about Trump and supporting Biden. Whereas on the progressive end or just, you know, Democratic uh, supporters, we try to reason. We try not to insult, but they don't care. So here's what I'm asking you, Richard. I think we need to talk to those Trump supporters that have now left that ship mm-hmm. and kind of realize that that was the wrong path and that they are now willing to vote for Biden and the Democratic Party. Not that they hate the Republican Party, 
But the role that the Republican Party has taken is so extreme, so mean-spirited and hateful that they just can no longer go along with it. So I'd like to hear from those uh Mm-hmm. former Trump supporters and who said we can't do him. That's a, bri- that's a bridge too a- far. We're, exactly. We're, yeah. No, Pam, that, that makes a good point. Does that make sense? It, Only it, because I want to know what, what hit it for them. Yeah. What, what bell went off to say, look, we can't do this anymore. That's why and I, I, I say can. ask the question and, and, and we're going to jump to the next call. Pam, I'm sure. going to respond to that, but thank you for calling. Have a great weekend. I want to try to get everybody in before we wrap up. Pam's point is right on, on point with something that I've said. What are the policies? What are the policies that, that 45 enacted that benefit your life? And if you can't come up with those, and why are you still following these people? Why are you still following that philosophy? It makes no sense at all. Paul, should we grab another one or we want to to take a break? All right, guys, 773-763-9278. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back to grab the rest of your calls. Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. We're back, guys. Uh, Last half hour. Thanks uh, for being with us today. This is Richard Chu sitting in for Joan Esposito. Um, So, I wanted to address something real quick uh, that that happened with with Pam's call and some other things that I've I've gotten from uh, from different folks. So for those of those who are out there hating on Biden, did you hear the economic report? Did you hear the market report? And they are different, the economy versus the market. Did you hear all those ups and unemployment down, job growth up, markets finishing strong? Record highs, never before. It's been, you know, lengths of time. The last time this happened, those were all upsides. Now I get the under the conversation about yeah, but the inflation, gas prices are down. Remember in the summer of 2021 and 2022, Paul, when everybody was losing their mind, gas prices are so high, and it's Biden's fault. Nah, nah, nah. I don't hear one doggone person going, but gas prices are down. Let me give a shout out to President Biden. Yeah, where's the I did that stickers? Exactly. But you got all these knuckleheads running around, some on the left. Y'all heard me. Some on the left still whining about what Biden didn't do for me. I'm going to vote for Trump. I'm a little dissatisfied with the Democratic Party, and I'm a little upset because Biden didn't thread the needle on every. Come on. You need to shut up on that. I mean, Edinger went on for almost a minute about all these great things that are happening. I get it. It's not perfect. But doggone, I mean, one of the big issues about, you know, inflation and gas prices, people were losing their mind over summer before last. But gas prices are down. So the folks on the left, y'all need to start doing a better job of speaking to that. So anyhow, Paul, let's kind of blow through these. Listen, guys, we're trying to we're going to try to get everybody in before we wrap up the show today. Dwayne and Schomburg, talk to me, man. What's going on? Yeah, so I was visiting my brother in Michigan over the summer, mm-hmm. and he said he wasn't going to vote. At wasn't all? Wasn't going to vote. I said, why, why, at all. Why aren't you going to vote? He says, because the black man shouldn't vote because what has uh, uh, the Democrats done for us? We should just let the Republicans have it, let this dude Trump have it, and let him burn it down and then see what, what goes on. So, and I asked him. You know, uh, what do you want, Biden or even Obama? What do you want for black men? Tell me what it is. And he couldn't think. He couldn't think of anything. I gave him that. I said, "What is it?" Now I know what it is, but he couldn't come up with it. Mm-hmm. So I said, "How about this? How about having a jury of our peers? When a black man goes on a jury trial, there's 
10 white people and two black people or 11 white people. They get waylaid. You be a black man, an innocent black man, and go to trial and see what happened to your butt. And I would advise every innocent black man, go on the trial, spend all your money. You better find the best lawyer that you can find. Otherwise, your butt going to going to prison, innocent and all. And ask prisoners who've been to jail, how many people in there were innocent? They know who was innocent or not. They'll tell you a high number. Yeah. No. Good point. Good point. Good point, Dwayne. Thanks for calling me in, man. Have a great, safe weekend. Yeah, you know, still, I mean, yes, I, I, I agree. I would want that, too. Jury of your peers, not 11 non-black people as a jury, because that ain't that's you're globally their peers. But in terms of how these selection processes are taking place, no, it's not. So it's not representation. All right. Let's go to uh, Dennis and Evanston. Dennis, what's going on? Hey, how are you? Um, been listening to you all afternoon and really like what you have to say um, and agree with it. Uh, one of the things that has got me is um, I really believe the Democrats need to embrace uh, more. And I'm just talking more from a personal thing, but I put myself out there to volunteer and actually work and have a job with them and stuff. And I get no response. And I can't imagine, I don't think I'm the only person that maybe that's happening to. And I know that based on what happened in 2016, you know, the Democrats had pulled out of certain areas that we thought we had. Yeah. And so if you got people who want to work and people who want to do things, uh, I think it's, it's, incumbent to to reach out to those people and, and believe me, I've been for two years I've been trying a number of different ways to uh, be uh, more involved and uh, it just isn't uh, is, isn't happening and I can't and I would believe I would believe that I'm not the only person that feels that way. No, I've heard that. that happen. Hey Dennis, man, listen, I've heard that before. Here's what I have been recommending to pe- for people to do. You may have already done this, so I hope I'm not repeating something you've already tried. Um, on a local level, there can you know you, you've got to approach all levels at the same time. This has always been my philosophy when it comes to this. Locally, you want to reach out to the precinct captains, the, the, the folks that are running any of the things locally. Simultaneously, reach out to the county people. So we reach out to Tony Preckwinkle's office. Simultaneously, you reach out to the mayor's office so you get the mayor of your area. And you're in Evanston from what I can see. And at the same time, you reach out to our elected representatives' offices. Because sometimes the people that are the just the precinct captains, and I don't mean to just demean them or anything, they don't necessarily get folks involved. I've seen this happen. I've heard people talk about it before. And then last but not least, you want to contact the DNC here in the state of Illinois as well as in Washington, D.C. So for me, it's an all-hands-on uh, assault to reach out to all of those at the same time and say, I want to get involved. I've been trying to reach. I've called these other four offices. I'm calling you at the same time. Tell me where I need to go. Tell me how I can help. Is it phone call, phone banking? Is it mailing? Um, and, and lean on them hard. I mean, I know it's a pain in the behind to have to keep barking up the same tree to get people to not, you know, get you involved. I understand what you're saying. I'm not, I'm not missing that at all, Dennis. But my suggestion would be all of those entities at the same time. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's that's I've tried a few of those, but not all of them at the same time. At the same time, because listen, <laughs> full, listen, full frontal assault. We, we got to go to a break, man. But this is what I what I always I look at it like this: full frontal assault. Because then you can say, well, listen, I already I talked to I called this office. Two minutes ago, I'm calling you at the same time. Let them all know I'm serious about helping. We've got to get involved, and you all need to recognize that I'm reaching out to everybody. It tends to have worked for me fairly well, just to let you know. Yeah, I, I did a thing on LinkedIn, and I said, look, I, I this is very important. If you want to hire me for work, I'll work. If you want to hire me to volunteer, I'll volunteer. Just let me know. And nothing. Silence. Sit down, create a list of those four or five entities, and call and e- email them all at the same time. We got to go, Dennis. Listen, man, have all a great right. weekend. Have a great weekend. Thanks for calling in. Stay strong and stay supportive. Break, Paul, or do we? Yeah, all right. Let's grab this quick break, you guys. We're going to run out real fast. 773-763-9278. We'll be right back. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Hey, guys, we're back. Thanks for uh, sitting with us. It's been great to be here today. Let's go to uh, my man Dave in the south suburbs. Hey, David, what's going on? Hey, Richard, I am madder than you are about these black men that want to uh, go for Massa Trump. What do they think Massa Trump going to do for them? At least back in the day, Stephen Fetcher got paid for doing that. Even <laughs> Uncle Thomas, Clarence Thomas, getting paid. What are these fools getting? David, you're not madder than me, man. I'm madder than you. <laughs> Can you? The, the, okay. when, no, I'm just playing. But when you hear that, when you hear that, I mean, I, I, I just, I, I feel like I want to peel my face back. Like, really? And my guy, uh, one of our listeners, callers, Dave, up in Hoffman Estates, he was doing everything he can as a white dude to not go there. But you basically, you heard him say, so what do you want to do? Go back to the 50s? When they, and, and, and I appreciate Dave was trying to, you know, as a white dude, he was trying to navigate that because I didn't know. I don't think he knew how much he could say comfortably. But, yeah, I mean, come on. And I got one more thing. And what's even worse are the ones that don't want to vote. Well, here's my here's my solution. There, if Trump get in, I think they should they should be first straight when uh, these when, uh, races are emboldened. When, when they come, come to, when they come to take your stuff, right? You get to move to the front of the line. If you don't vote. And he gets re-ele- uh, reinstalled, you get to move to the front of the line when he comes taking your stuff. He's going to take mine and yours, David, last. No, I got bad. Well, Trump will take your stuff, but the, but the, the toothless racers, they're going to come shoot it up. So I think these guys should be first-string bullet captains. There it is. There it is. If they don't want to vote. If they don't want to vote, right on the front. <laughs> David, believe me, brother, I'm, I'm with you on that. And that's that goes back to my everybody's got to lean into this. And I know it sounds, you know, cheerleader-ish, but, you know, we have to lean into this. We can't lean back and go, well, I'm going to let them see. Let's see what happens. And I'm going to just wait and hold my vote because they're not piercing their, you know, the rainbow. Just come on. It does fr- yeah. frustrate well, the hell out of me. Yeah, I, I slapped some symptoms, so I'm sending my way. Okay. All right. I got them coming down your way. So, listen, man, thank you for calling in and supporting all of what we do. Stay involved. If you need to get some, you know, some things to do or need to, you know, my man that just called in from Evanston, I almost forgot his name now. I think it was Brian. He's trying to find ways he can get involved and, and do some stuff. Those are the people, black or white or whatever community, we've got to have that sort of 
you know, all hands on deck mentality. I've been saying it all day. So thanks, David. Man, have a good weekend. Be safe. Enjoy this weather. Uh, you too. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, I mean, Paul, that, that's that's the thing, man. I mean, it doesn't matter if a white woman, a black man, a Hispanic man, an Asian woman, a Middle Eastern dude, doesn't matter. Palestinian upset because they're not doing you don't have that opportunity. I can't stress that enough. You do not have the right to abandon ship right now. I'm sorry if you disagree with me. You're, I, I can handle it. But you do not have the right. I get a little choked up when I think about all the shoulders that all of us have stood on. And to say that because you didn't get what you wanted from a particular administration that you are not going to vote or that you're going to even toy with the idea, which is, to, to vote for 45 when he's told you I'm going to walk up to you and I'm going to slit your throat. You're going to give him the knife that you went and got sharpened and to say, yeah, man, here, take this knife. That's what it feels like to me. And to felt folks like David and the other and folks like Pam on the West side and, and Karen, my, my, my good friend, Karen and, 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 and Anita, that's what it feels like. You are willing to say, I'm going to go sharpen the knife, give it to you, let you in my front yard and slip my throat to even toy with the idea of not voting in this next cycle or voting for 45. And I don't care what community you come from, black male, white female, Asian, Hispanic, Middle Eastern, Palestinian, Israel, I don't care. It is irresponsible. And kind of what, what, what David from the South Suburbs just said, if that's where you are, then you get to go to the front of the line. When they start taking your stuff, when some some, you know, knucklehead decides they're going to come by and shoot your spot up because you decided you were too good to vote. So, yeah, I'm ranting because it needs to be ranted on. So take that. Paul, let's go to Brian in Kankakee. Hey, Brian, what's going on, man? Down in the 815. To those people who go, oh, Biden hasn't done this and he hasn't done that and he hasn't done this and he hasn't accomplished much. Um, What I do, and I find it works a lot of times, is that I agree with them. I say, you're right. He hasn't accomplished a lot. He's accomplished a few important things, but he hasn't accomplished a lot. But, and it's a very big but, Richard, but I ask him, how is he supposed to have accomplished all these things? And then I point out all the systemic structural barriers that he's been up against to accomplish these things. I I give the context, which the news never does. I say, how do you do this with the filibuster in the Senate? How do you get things through? How is he supposed to get things through when he had 50-50 in the Senate the first two years, and two of them were Cinema and Manchin, and they were basically right-wing Republicans? How was he supposed to accomplish these things with a razor-thin majority in the House the first two years, and now the Republicans, how does he do this? How, does he wave a magic wand? So I immediately switch it from an argument about how much he's accomplished, which they're going to dig in their heels and I'm going to lose, to looking at the context. And I find it works sometimes, not all the time, but they go, oh, that's right. I, I didn't realize. Sometimes, so, Brian, how you, it, how, you, you, I'm, for, you're right on point, brother. Sometimes you just have to chip off a little bit at a time, baby steps, because 
that is the, I, I love that approach. And, and that's, it, it kind of parallels when I, when people go down that road, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. When I will turn on, turn it on people and say, well, then tell me what it is that, that 45 is specifically done for you. Not always oh, made me feel better. And, you know, he's, you know, he's, he represents the, you know, American value. No, 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 no. I can't put any money on that. So I'm with you, Brian. That is a great way to approach it. Yeah, he hasn't done everything. You're right. He hasn't done everything. But these three big things over here, look at how it's impacted your life. That's a good, it's a good spot, man. It's, it really is. You're, you're getting it done down there in the 815. Brian. I hope so. <laughs> thanks, man. Keep in the fight. Do not relent. Lean in all the time. You always got us here at WCPT to call in and talk and stay involved, brother. Keep doing what you're doing. Connect with people like my friend Karen and Anita, who've got their new podcast. Everything and everything, anything and everything works. Doing nothing doesn't work. Like David just said from the South Suburbs that, um, you know, the people who decide they're not going to vote, they're not going to get involved or they're going to vote for 45, they get to move to the front of the line if that dude gets reinstalled. So. Yeah, and, and one other important thing that I close with is I say, if you want him to accomplish whatever it is they say he hasn't done, X, Y, Z, we're going to have to give him a Congress he can work with. Bingo. Stop sitting at home during the midterms and going, well, we got him elected. Now we ain't. I mean, that's what happened to President Obama. People just said, well, we got the black dude elected. Now we ain't going to do anything during the 2010 midterms. And stuff blew up. Brian, you get to move to the front of the class on that because that's exactly what it is. How is he going to get anything done? If he doesn't have a Congress. And then, by the way, how is some of the national stuff that gets done going to really hold on a state level if the folks on the state level don't vote to keep the legislatures moving in the right direction? I'm proud of Virginia because of what they just did. They said, oh, no, 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 no. We're not going to let Yunkin have, a, you know, carte blanche. They flipped their state house, their Senate state house. Did you see that? They flipped the house yep. and they kept their uh, wait. How did I hope I'm right? Did they flip the house? No, no. They flipped the Senate by two or three votes and they held the house or one of the two. But my point is, they did not let Yunkin on a state level have carte blanche. That's the stuff we have to do. To your point, we have to make those things happen, and it's incremental more often than not. Thanks, Brian. Absolutely. Have Thank a, you. Have a great weekend, man, and stay in the fight. You too. All right. Bye now. Brian, is, he's spot on. I mean, that's that's it. You have to, and I said this, I've talked, Karen and I talk a lot, and one of the things that I've said is we have to stop taking the position of defending and putting it back on them to prove to me otherwise. And I think the more that progressives do that, um, I think that we have more of an opportunity to stem the tide when it comes to these knuckleheads who say, I'm not going to vote or I'm, gonna, I'm considering voting for Trump. It's OK. Well, like and then Dave from Hoffman Estates kind of leaned into this a little bit. So you really want to go back to when this was happening in the 50s and these things were, you know, I don't always agree with what everybody says in terms of our, where our callers come from. But I'm listening to their their thought process, which is we can't go in that direction. I mean, if Roe v. Wade doesn't get anybody's attention. I don't know what will. Um, and I think at this point, and I know we're coming up on the end of the show and I greatly appreciate everybody staying with us. I know I've had a couple of rants today. That was by design. I've learned that sometimes ranting is going to get people's attention. 
Um, I think part of my responsibility when I get to sit in or when I'm on the family meeting is to rant a little bit because we get comfortable. Comfortable is okay but when you put the work in to get to being comfortable. And right now we we don't have that luxury. So um, do we have another caller? Is that, no, that, that okay? Yeah, okay. So listen, guys. Um, I think Lady B's here. Is that Lady B in the back? Oh my gosh, she doesn't even know I'm, I'm giving her some some props. But uh, some shout outs today. Um, obviously to Natalie Ziemba up in Woodstock, City Council person that's been doing great stuff up there. We're excited for her and very proud of what she's doing. Uh, shout out to my good friend Karen Byrne. And our uh, ally, Anita, down in Texas, who they put together a wonderful podcast. You need to check those guys out. Um, and um, I want to give out a shout out to um, one of my associates who uh, um, uh, was, recent, was recently here in Chicago for the, um, the uh, Human Rights um, Committee event, uh, Dana Goldberg, and uh, the work that she's doing. I want to give a shout out to... Uh, a number of people who are part of the progressive movement out on the West Coast and certainly um, keep following those people that are followers of the shows that are on WCPT. So listen, um, as we're coming to the end of the show, I'm going to wrap up with a couple things. So in my notes that I've been making the last couple of days, knowing that I was going to be able to sit in on the show today, one of the things that I wrote down that I said I definitely want to um, to speak to is this. And that is where we are right now is, is clear. It's, it's clearly critical. It's all hands on deck. That's, that's a phrase I'm using right now. And so to that end, guys, listen, you can't wait till next summer during the DNC to say, all right, now I'm going to get involved to start, you know, get doing stuff. We're year, we're 11 months out, whatever, 10 and a half months out, but you have to be working on this now. We, we waste time waiting to the end to then get involved. We know who our candidate is. It is not going to be some other person that the Democrats decide to replace Biden with. The only person that that would potentially be is Vice President Harris. And that would mean that Joe Biden had something happen where he couldn't run. But I don't see that happening. So rather than sit back and not be involved now. You need to be involved by following the shows that are that are part of the progressive movement, following the new uh, newly released True Blue Politics podcast, following, you know, what we do here on CPT. Um, I think it was the guy's the gentleman's name is Kevin that called from Evanston. Finding out every source that you can reach out to to get involved, putting in the work like he's doing to find ways to be involved now rather than at the, you know, the 11th hour, because I'm telling you, it's easier to get involved now and then be consistent during when, when the critical times really hit, because after the Republican convention or I'm sure let me back up during the Republican primary as we saw with the debates, there's going to be more and more mudslinging or something else that might be slung that we're going to observe. It's our opportunity to take advantage of their self-imposed chaos rather than sitting back and waiting. When you see what happened the other night, other than the Chris Christie moments when he went after some of the other candidates, when you see what these folks are doing and then when 
the we get to the point where that for, that that Trump becomes their nominee, we need to have already built up steam, built up the muscle to get the work done so that all the great things that President Biden's administration is doing, like the financial reports that we heard earlier, they have started to grow. They've germinated. They've taken seed. And more and more of us, have, if we're repeating what the president's doing and other elected officials are doing, that becomes the platform that we're standing on, not waiting to the last minute. We can't do that again. We have to continue to galvanize, get more people involved now, and then keep pushing this wave forward. Our wave is stronger and bigger and more powerful than theirs is. Theirs is chaos. Ours is a positive wave. So I wrap up by saying thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting our efforts. Biden's doing a good job, y'all. We just got to continue to get involved and stay involved. We appreciate you following us here on WCPT. Check us out in the the family meeting on Sundays from 4 to 6 p.m. My name is Richard Chu. Y'all have a great weekend.